This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Truly, Curtis Sliwa here, substituting for the Mamaluke Frank Morano. And unfortunately, I'm stuck with his staff, with uh, a guy who calls himself Matt Blaze, but you know that's an alias. You know this guy's a fugitive. You know this guy has multiple names. And yet, Frank Morano just wants to shield him, the board operator. Then you have the telephone talent coordinator. I've never heard of such a ridiculous term like that. He's a freaking phone screener, Ken. And, of course, there's the brown-nosed producer who does whatever Frank wants. He's had his beck and call, Alex. You got the trio here, the McWhitey Whiteys. These guys are the whitest guys I've ever seen in talk radio. Meantime, I made one simple request. I want the brothers and sisters who were with me on the weekend when I do The Other Side of Midnight, the weekend edition. I have Avery. I have Broadway Bill Lee on loan from WCBS-FM. And I have Carmelo Carmesito, whatever the hell her name is. But they all have melanin in their complexion. So you say to yourself, how did I end up with the McWhitey-Whitey crew? Well, that's because of Frank Morano. And I ask all of you, because you listen. You listen religiously, as you should be listening to so many programs here at WABC, morning, noon, and night. Didn't Frank Morano just go on vacation to Hawaii? Didn't he just go on vacation to Hawaii? I substituted for him. What was it, about 10 days, two weeks? What was it? Now another vacation? And they claim it's Cape May... When I know it's really Montauk out there where they have banned dancing. I can't believe this. Way out on the east end, the North Shore, as opposed to Southampton, they've actually banned dancing at the nightclubs, the gin mills, and the restaurants. You can't even get up at a cabaret. You can't even pump quarters into a jukebox. I mean, Frank Morano, like son of a Pentecostal, Pentecostal minister, has decided... If he can't dance, then nobody can dance. He'd rather you play board games like Parcheesi, like Monopoly, like Milton Bradley's Battleship. Well, I'm going to sink his Battleship and every other Battleship here because I have a very good feeling here, Matt Blades, and I know that's not your name, the fugitive that you are. You know, one day I'm going to figure out who you are through facial recognition technology. What they won't permit the NYPD to use to find all these fiends that are committing unprecedented crime mobs. Oh, no, you can't use facial recognition technology. It's a violation of people's rights. No, it'll actually find the real people who committed the crimes. And those who were falsely accused will not end up doing prison time. Okay, let's establish that. I know you don't like that, Matt, because I'm hot on your case, man. You know I'm going to nail you. Why don't you just turn yourself in to uh, 
Mayor Eric Adams live at five. Right? He, he loves that. You know, the more opportunities he gets to get FaceTime, the better. You can just turn yourself in live at five with Eric Adams. We're going to deal with all of that in tonight, National Night Out. And, you know, the whole concept of National Night Out was that people would turn their lights on in their porches in the suburbs. It all started outside of Philadelphia in 1970. With the idea is that you keep your lights on in the darkness of the night. Are you aware that most National Night Out events end before dusk? Before night. Why do they end before night? (laughs) Because of all the crime. Here it was, National Night Out. Night right starts at dusk. Dusk usually because it's summertime, I would say, eh, give or take, about 7 o'clock East uh, East Coast time, right? And most National Nights Out were finished by 8 o'clock. It was still light out. I said, wait a second, all the crime is being committed late at night. Oh, no, we got to hunker down. We can't have people out here in the streets. What the hell is a national night out for if you can't go out in the night? Oh, we're going to deal with all of this, ladies and gentlemen. We are definitely going to deal with all of this because here I am schlepping around national night out, and there's nobody out. Hey, what happened to this preaching? Oh, they ended it early. Why they ended early? Drive-by shootings, you know. We didn't want anybody to get shot. What are you talking about? That's why we have cops. Yeah, well, we don't let them do anything. What do you mean you don't let them do anything? Well, not reactive, you know. We want mental health care officials to deal with these problems. Well, what are you talking about? Oh, we're going to do the deep dive in all of this. No doubt about it. And then what is this? Uh, These are handwritten instructions from Frank Morano himself. When giving out the number, don't say, in big block letters. I've been doing this for 35 years. I need instructions. Just say 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. It's always broadcasting, Curtis, right? I mean, I can do this in my sleep, the few hours of sleep I get. And he's got to write it out in block letters, block numbers, as if... I'm a moron. I'm a uh, Gabon. This is incredible. No wonder why Frank wanted 72 different suggestions to possibly substitute for him while he's away on vacation again. Let me warn everyone in talk radio, wherever you are, from East Coast to West Coast, North to South, throughout North America, our powerful sound here, 50,000 pounds, can be heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, and a sliver of Europe, and right on down to Davy Jones's locker. You take vacations. I'm going to Wally Pip you. I don't care who you are, whether you're the Mama Luke, Frank Morano. I don't care if you're a hostess or host. Talk radio is not work. Talk radio is a vacation from real work. Take it from Curtis Lewell, who ran a McDonald's. That's right, at night in the Bronx. We're going to talk about that story later on. Everybody told, oh, yeah. What the hell did they know? They never ran a McDonald's. The only thing most of these talk show hosts and hostesses have ever done at a McDonald's is stick Big Macs in their mouth, and then they go, oh, can I get two Big Macs for $5? 
With all the money you make, well, you know, I'm being a little frugal. You know, it's Biden inflation now. I got to be careful. Can I order from the dollar menu? The dollar menu. I know. Oh, wait a second. When giving out the number, just say 1-800-848-9222. Like I'm a freaking moron after 35 years of doing talk radio. 1-800-848-9222. Think about this. Frank Morano was my intern. Frank Morano was my producer when I did a nationally syndicated radio program. Ah, you're saying, oh, you're jealous. You're envious of Frank because he has a nationally syndicated radio program right now. Of course I am. I'll be perfectly honest. What the hell is this? I have no idea what's going on. What was that? Did I hear Frank? I have no idea what's going on. Yes, you know what's going on. So I also want to call out Frank's many friends who I see they're on vacation in Greece. You know, they're putting it up on Instagram, Facebook. Look at us in Greece. All of Frank's cronies from Staten Island. They're all Eric Adam Republicans now. I'm looking at this article in Politico. It's all here. Oh, we love Eric Adams. We're Republicans. But uh, we, we, we want to kiss both his cheeks on his tuchus. <laughs> you, huge article. And I look. I say, well, where are these? Where are these guys? Are they out there in Staten Island where there are drive-by shootings, where there are home invasions, carjackings? Crime has never been this bad before. They're out in Greece. I see this guy, Joe Burrell. He's in Greece. Oh, a Tanush, the assemblyman. Oh, and they love Eric Adams. They're Eric Adams Republicans. That's the new tagline. And wherever Joe Burrell is and Tanush is, you better believe Frank Morano is there with a ping pong table. Right? You know, you would think he's in... Beijing, you know, in Red China, or a.k.a. Formosa, Taiwan, where they also love to play ping pong, because that's Frank Morano's obsession, to bring a ping pong table into the studios of the number one news talk station in the nation. For what purpose? And then I look at these Facebook posts, and I say, oh, drive-by shootings, carjackings. A woman got shot on a place called Victory Boulevard. A drive-by shooting? They're having a vacation in Greece. I'm reading in Politico that they've all become Eric Adam Adam Republicans. New York Republicans are falling for Eric Adams. And I bet you Frank Morano is out there. Beware. You happen to be a Republican and you're kissing the tuchus of the mayor. Who has no plan, the swagger man, who right now is in the Club Zero Bond as he is every evening after the witching hour, after midnight. I'm going to tell you where he should have been momentarily. Because Dominic Carter certainly spent time talking about how cops were attacked all along the Grand Concourse in the Bronx. After the Dominican parade in the Bronx, that was led by who? Eric Adams! with all of his Dominican supporters, and what he didn't realize, because he's not street smart. You know, let's face it, Matt Blaze, you wear a $5,000 customized suit with Ferragamos every day. You're not in the streets. So I'm looking at this group on video. I couldn't be there because, what, I was broadcasting that day. I'm saying, they're Trinitarios in the entourage. They're on the periphery. That's the vicious gay, hey, Eric Adams. So maybe we can get Eric Adams, Republicans, you know, like Joe Borelli, Tanush. 
Frank Morano, all of them in Greece, and then the Trinitarios, that's the gang that's attacking the police of the NYPD, Eric Adams. And we'll call them Eric Adams gangbangers and Eric Adams Republicans. Madonna, my. Madonna's, oh, wait a second. Here it is. Written out, hand, handwritten block letters. When giving out the number, don't say, just say 1 800 848 Do I need this after 35 years? And by the way, I want to mention to all of you it was. Uh, 72 suggestions that Frank Morano had for substitutes. The second vacation he's taken. Again, I warn everyone in this business, you take a vacation, I'm going to wally-pip you. I'm going to eat up your real estate. I don't take vacations. This is not work. People are listening out there. They would love to be able to come on the radio and talk. And then they say, and you get paid for this? Yeah, believe it or not. You get paid for this? To express yourself, to give your opinion on the biggest radio station in the nation. They pay you for this. And you take vacations? Oh, well, you know, I got I need a vacation. I got postpartum depression. No, you weren't the pregnant one. Your wife was. I, I, I can't believe politicians, talk radio show hosts, hostesses, TV hosts, hostesses. I need a vacation. A vacation from what? You do one hour a day? You know well, you know what our fathers and mothers would do? They'd be working. This is before there was a 40-hour week. They'd be working up until Sunday. And my grandfather, he had to work half a day on Sunday. Six and a half days. That's work with a pick and a shovel. Digging ditches. Oh, there's so much work and talk radio. Are you kidding? How many of them just mail it in? They repeat what was said on the previous show. The same thing in the same way. They read from the same. Oh, let's see. Again, my uh, my notes here today. Let's see. We share it up and down the line. Can you imagine this? Can I hear that song again here, Matt Blaze? Because I, I would ban this song. You know, I'm not into banning songs. But I would really ban this song. Let me warn all of you out there. If you're in talk radio, wherever you are, it could be a two-watt station in a chicken coop in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa. Or it could be in a major metropolitan area anywhere in North America. That's right, because I've broadcast in Canada, too. I will eat your real estate up like a Pac-Man. <laughs> I don't believe in best of because it's worst of. Oh, well, the host is out this week, so we're going to play best of. Hey, when I listened to it the first time, it was worst of. Why would I be a masochist, a human piñata, and listen to it again? You're killing this thing of ours that I love so much. And I know you love so much. Talk radio. We give it to you fresh slices. It's like when you buy a pizza, right? Eight slices. You don't want any bum slices that have been laying around all day in the plate. You look at the guy who's going to, you know, he goes under the counter. No, no, don't give me no bum slices. You see that pie you just took out of the oven? I want the fresh slice, not the bum slice. Oh, by the way, and another tip, wherever you are listening to this program, you go into your local pizza parlor. I'm not talking about the cardboard you order, you know, that gets delivered to your house, Domino. I'm talking real pizza from mom and pop shops, you know, 
from a guy who just came over from Naples. You know, he's spinning, he's twirling the pizza, you know, and he's cutting it. And then all of a sudden, you walk in and you're a real Weisenheimer and you say, hey, Sal, Vito, whatever the hell your name is. Yeah, I want, you see that, I know, I, I, I don't want you to, I got to get going. So you see that slice pie you have there? I want you to just put it in a box. I'll warm it up at home. I can't do that. What do you mean you can't do that? Come on, let's do it. I'll, I'll give you an extra 20. Hey, you can keep it. The boss don't have to know. We're paying, I'm paying 20, and then I'm giving you an extra 20. I can't do that, Curtis. You know why you can't do it? Because if you take that slice pie and you put it in the box, it will stick out of the box. Because you were always told, value, value, buy an actual eight-slice pizza pie, right? Everybody was taught, oh, you get real value by buying the whole pie, not individual slices. Not. Do I have to become the consumer affairs chief in New York City, city the pizza capital of the world? Oh, although New Jersey would compete with that. And they have some of the best pizza up in New Haven, Connecticut. That's right. I've eaten almost all the pizza wherever I've been. That's why I have Crohn's disease. You know something? I was shot five times on June 19th, 1992 on the orders of John Gotti Sr., the John Gotti Jr., and the Gambino crime family. Took the licking, kept on ticking. Do you know I would rather get shot five times again than have an attack of Crohn's disease, ileitis, or colitis? Some people, when I say that, they say, man, you're weirding out. No. It is so horrible. And for years, you would go into a doctor's office and you would say, oh, Crohn's disease. That's the Ashkenazi Jews. You know, they have, as- they have all kinds of gastronomical issues. No. So many people have it now. Young people, middle-aged people, elderly people, white people, black people, Gentiles, Jews. Who knows? It might be the atmosphere, it might be the water, it might be the food we eat, or it may just be the oxygen that causes it. Like what happened yesterday? I must tell you I had a flare-up. I'm not going to lie. I I had to have uh, H.O. Oats in the morning to calm my stomach down. I never eat H.O. Oats. I really don't. Not since I was a kid. But I was told in order to do the Frank Morano show, and remember... He was my intern at one point, right? I was a teacher. Now, all of a sudden, the student demands of the teacher what the teacher must do. So I was told that I had to interview guests. And they they, uh, alerted me to Jennifer Grodd. They said, oh, she's the best in the business, the best booker. They've never had a booker like Jennifer Grodd. And Jennifer said, look, I have the specifications from Frank, the management, the ownership, You have to have these kind of guests, you know, little gray aliens, UFOs, extraterrestrials, Loch Ness, Monster, Bigfoot. I say, okay, you know, I love overnight radio, theater of the mind. I listen to years. The very best, without a doubt, was the Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown, Art Bell. No doubt about it. I was at war with Art Bell. I declared Radio Jihad on him. Well, maybe we'll save that story for another day. But he was great at what he did. I said, so what are you thinking of, Jennifer? Oh, I've just read this manuscript. I've done massive research. In fact, she printed out 58 pages on this person of no consequence in Kodiak, Alaska. You know, with the big brown Kodiak bears. You know, with Sarah Palin in the helicopter running for Congress shooting wolves. While uh, he was fishing for salmon. You know, he's out there fishing for salmon. 
And then all of a sudden, so I'm asking him about the Loch Ness, Loch Ness monster, and you know, he's telling me he was over in Morocco. And I said, "Oh, you mean the Marrakesh Express?" L- listen to this. Give me an idea of out of the many things you've done in your life, and you originally from uh, Kodiak, Alaska. How you ended up being involved in researching the Loch Ness monster and breathing life into its possible existence in the past? Uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go quite that far, but I, I just kind of. I go out there. I try and find fossils. I look at what's out there and try and just be opportunistic. Go out there and look at fossils and see what emerges. And we found surprisingly in, in Morocco. <sighs> We found evidence of plesiosaurs, oh, which uh, have kind of become sort of one proposal is that Loch Ness Monster was a plesiosaur. We found evidence of these things living in freshwater rivers in North Africa. I wanted to impale myself. I said, this is just going to go down, down, down. Oh, my God. Look, I tried to be a good trooper. Try to be a good team player. You know, I was going to make the best of a really bad situation. I knew what I was getting into. So I figured, oh, he gave me a lead-in. Morocco, the Marrakesh Express. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Uh, the Sook there where uh, a lot of white people from Europe and North America would go to score hash and, and dope. You know, and it's like everybody knew that, right? So listen, listen to this Gavon, right? I, I give him a softball. In fact, I feed him a beach ball. He could hit it out of Yankee Stadium. Listen to what he had to say. Now, that's, so, that's Morocco. So for me growing yeah. up, I'm listening the, to Crosby. Right. But I'm listening, far away. I'm listening to Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young's Marrakesh Express, and I'm thinking Morocco, yeah. you know, the sook, hash, drugs, I'm not thinking the Loch Ness monster, unless maybe uh, that, that's not why I was there. No, no, none of that. But uh, guy, I, I like. Come on, man, lighten up. You're from Alaska. I know you smoke bones up there, and they're not bare bones. They're not bones from salmon. You know the kind of stuff they smoke up there in Mother Nature. I mean, the lids that they smoke there would blow your mind. That's why they can be out there when it's 60 degrees below zero, and they don't feel anything. You know, they get into the igloo with the Eskimos. Oh, can I say Eskimos? Oh, my God. That's so politically incorrect. Am I going to get canceled because I talk about Eskimos? You mean the indigenous people, first world people? Be respectful. They came over the Bering Strait years ago when it was frozen. They came through Alaska into Canada. And they went all the way down to the Amazonian jungles. They were up there in, oh yeah, Peru, where they eventually started chewing cocoa leaves. You really think I'm going to believe that crap? That they crossed over the Bering Strait and worked their way all the way down. Didn't they freeze it, took us off? Then how come they're all the way in South America? They're in the Andes Mountains, right? And they're wearing little loincloths. How do they go from being fully clothed to wearing little loincloths? And then chewing cocoa leaves. I'm supposed to believe all that. Hey, you know, that's history. You know, you, 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 know, you Curtis, you're a high school dropout. You know, the Jesuits kick you to the curb from Brooklyn Prep. You never look back. You don't have a Ph.D. You don't have a master's degree. You know, where's your shine box, Sliwa? Get your shine box. This guy was like, and then, 
And then the pièce de résistance. I'm asking the guy, right? I'm, yeah, he says there's a Loch Ness monster. He's found fossils, believe it or not, in Morocco. And then he busts our bubble. Just to be clear, though, like, so I, I suggested that one aspect of the theory that there's a plesiosaur in Loch Ness was plausible, that there is, could plesiosaurs move, there are marine reptiles, could they actually exist in freshwater? And that part's plausible, but the other parts of the Loch Ness monster scenario, the idea that there's a plesiosaur in Loch Ness or some other animal, it's, it's not super plausible. So uh, I hate to disappoint, but there's probably not a Loch Ness monster there. There's probably not a plesiosaur in Loch Ness. Well, you you didn't break my heart. I think you broke my wife's heart, Nancy. But I have my my deep apologies. I, look, I, I would vastly prefer if there was a monster in the Loch Ness. It, it would be it'd be a far more interesting world if there were lake monsters. Hell yes, it would. What the hell am I interviewing this guy for? There's probably not a Loch Ness monster there. There's probably not a plesiosaur Loch Ness. He's an expert, right? Oh, you you know you you got to interview the experts. You know you got to do what Frank does. Well, why did he take a freaking second vacation? I haven't taken any vacations. Okay. Okay, I'm substituting. No more guests. I'm sorry. I am not going to be humiliated like that again. And then Jennifer cried, oh, 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 but I read his manuscript, and, and I killed the whole forest just printing out all of his data on, on there being a Loch Ness Monster. There's probably not a Loch Ness monster there. There's probably not a plesiosaur Loch Ness. You know, I'm so happy when I was in Glasgow dealing with the Timmies, the Catholics, and the Rangers, the Protestants trying to kill one another. That I didn't take uh, up the offer of the BBC to travel 25 miles to Loch Ness there to look for the Loch Ness monster. Oofa! There's probably not a Loch Ness monster there. There's probably not a plesiosaur Loch Ness. The humiliation, the degradation... Doing this for 25 years, knowing that at one time I was on the cusp of winning a Marconi Award. Yeah, I was. Here I was in Philadelphia, huge gathering, and I was one of the nominees, and they gave it to some guy named Ron Owens from KGO in San Francisco who used to talk about potted plants and how to pot and repot plants, not how to grow pot. Sense Amelia, you know, Maui Waui, Hindu Kush, not the strains of pot, but how to actually pot plants and unpot plants. He won the Marconi Award. You know what I got? Ugats, Bubkis. And for this, I end up interviewing in the wee hours of the morning a guy that I was told is the number one expert on the Loch Ness Monster who had... This revelation for all of us. There's probably not a Loch Ness monster there. There's probably not a plesiosaur Loch Ness. Why? What? I got to keep it real. I got to be Curtis Sliwa. Yes, I do theater of the mind, but it's completely different than chasing little gray aliens, UFOs, extraterrestrials, Sasquatch, Loch Ness monsters that the experts say, well, you know, it doesn't exist. So let me get back on track. And do what I've been doing for 35 years and talk radio, right? You know, it's like when you cut a tree and you see the rings of a tree, you can tell how old it is. If you sawed me in half, right? You know, an illusion, illusion. 
like Harry Houdini. If you sawed me in half, you would count the rings and you would say, man, this guy's been in talk radio a long time. And I intend on staying in talk radio a long time. But not if I'm doing interviews about the Lockbacks monster with a guy who's a supposed expert who then says, there is no Loch Ness monster. There's probably not a Loch Ness monster there. There's probably not a please or Loch Ness. Our numbers. Oh, let me read it. Frank Morano wrote it out. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. I can't even say it. Whatever he said. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. There's an island across the sea. Beautiful Kauai. Beautiful Kauai. Wasn't it just a few weeks ago Frank Morano took another long vacation, supposedly for the marriage of his uh, brother. Beautiful Kauai. And yet was... Uh, Drunk in every tiki bar from Oahu to Maui to Kauai. And who is he looking for? Tulsi Gabbard, the woman in white, the congresswoman that will give him no play. He loves Tulsi. Oh, please, Tulsi. I got to interview you, Tulsi. You know, it's like a girlfriend. She doesn't want to be with you. Drop her like a bad habit. Not Frank. He had to travel to Oahu, Kauai, Maui. Looking for the lady in white, Tulsi Gabbard, who would give him no play. He even went to an ashram. He understood, believe it or not, that Tulsi Gabbard, the former congresswoman, lady in white, ran for the Democratic nomination. Hillary called her, remember, a Russian agent. She's a Hindu. So he's going there with a dot on his head. He's walking through. Uh, they have monkeys in the ashram. Frank Morano's a... Have you seen Tulsi, the goddess, the princess? I need to interview her. I really do. And they said, no. And by the way, sober up, pal. You know, we don't serve alcohol here in the ashrams. You know, go back to the tiki bars, you know, and start singing Don Ho songs. Have some poi. You know, like the Howleys, like white boys do. A little poi there, right? God, we're doing this all over again. So, hey, you take a vacation anywhere in America with program directors and general managers and owners and operations of stations. I will raise my hand and say, oh, I'll be there. Let me Wally Pip this guy, huh, or this gal. They call this work. You, you really think this is work? This is a stream of consciousness. I do this in public parks. People think I'm crazy. I said, no, apparently I have achieved some degree of success. Call me eccentric, but don't call me crazy. If I was a person of no consequence, yeah, then put me in a uh, put me in a lockup in a straitjacket, you know, and shoot me with thoracene. But I get paid for this. Can you believe it? Now most of it goes for child support. Hey, okay, like eighty percent of it. But this is not work. You know, I. I I've dealt with talk radio show hosts and hostesses all over America. 
And because I'm the founder of the Guardian Angels, starting Guardian Angel groups in all kinds of cities to fight crime, I would be invited to do interviews. And I would, Curtis, such a difficult life. A really difficult life. You know what's doing? Doing day labor, you know. Schlepping out there at 5 o'clock in the morning, right? People picking you up, digging ditches, digging latrines. You know, not being able to find a bathroom. You know, that that's tough work, right? And then you got to work like 12 hours a day. That's hard work. Here you sit in front of a microphone. It's a stream of consciousness. Oh, I got barnacles on my backside. Can somebody scratch? Hey, Alex, my sickle fan, Tony and Lackey producer, can you scratch my tukus? This, they claim is hard work. Oh, and they kvetch. They can, oh, the talk radio hosts and hosts. They get together. It's a cabal. Oh, he works so hard. The conditions are so poor. Really? The conditions are so poor? You should be in picking crops out in Texas now in Florida in the heat. It's 120 degrees in the shade. That's work. What my father, Chester, did, 54 years of merchant seamen. That's work. Never, never made the kind of money I do to run my mouth a mile a minute. And may I mention again, 80% of it goes for child support. Yeah, let me keep mentioning. I see my Kumbada Chief Rudy Giuliani. He's getting jammed up by his former wife there. Oh, my God. Oh, Rudy didn't pay for my country club course in Palm Beach. Lady, you're a registered nurse. Go back to work. You're getting alimony? But yeah, what about Social Security? What about your pension? Well, I need alimony. Madonna, my. Don't get me started here. <laughs> This is work? This is not work. This thing of ours is what we love to do. Take the microphone away and we get the, the Jones. It's like we're a dope fiend, you know? We go cold turkey. Oh, oh, please. Oh, Kingsborough Community College wants to do an interview. They need me to substitute. It's a two-watt station and only can be heard in the luncheon, the luncheonette and in the cafeteria. I'm there. I need my fix. I'm above all that. You know, no. I don't need to do that. It's too much work. Really? Let me read the paper, what was printed for me. Or maybe we should let Frank Morano tell us what to do, okay? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. He pre-recorded this because he said, oh, Curtis will probably forget it. You know, he's 68 years old. You know, he's an altacaca. If I can't remember the number to call in, man, I need to go get a job hanging wallpaper in the sixth borough of the city of New York, Boca Raton in Florida, or the Poconos in Pennsylvania. Oh, God. What, what, what has this thing of ours become? What has this thing of ours become? Oh, can you know, uh, you can listen to me on the satellite. All you got to do is tune your disquantificator. Let me tell you exactly. Really, really, you have a, a show, right? Where, where, where can I listen to your show? Oh, it's the disquantificator, the angle to the dangle. It conflates and like, really? You really think I'm going to do all that to listen to you? Oh, you got to listen to me. You know, uh, my talk program is the best. Oh, by the way, my plumber, my dentist. Oh, I got a podcast. Everybody in the freaking world has a podcast. Oh, you got to listen to my podcast. Really? Do you think I have time? I don't have enough time to sleep. You know, having a podcast nowadays is like when they first started open mic at comedy clubs. There was a comedy club on every block. Everybody thought they could do open mic, right? 
and you sat there and you stirred your watered-down drink and you didn't laugh at all after paying the cover charge and you just wanted to burn the sucker down. Oh, I'm a comedian. Oh, I do open mic. Really? Where do you do open mic? Well, you know, it's like... And now there's no more of that, right? Very little. What? At one point. It's like, you know, I, I do a podcast. You really do. Yeah, I do a podcast about nothing. Yeah, I listen to that podcast. And I'm telling you, I'll never get that hour back again in my life. It's an hour I will never recover. But this thing of ours that we so love and so many of you love out there, no, it's theater of the mind. And I am going to take you to places in your medulla and cerebellum that you never knew existed. Let's first start out with National Night Out. Created in 1970 in the suburbs, the main line, outside of Philadelphia. You know, nowadays they don't have National Night Out because if you left the light on in your porch, you might be vulnerable to a drive-by shooting. So you keep the lights off. So when the oozy-toting, dope-sucking, psychopathic killing machines are driving up and down drag racing, you know, you have the ATVs, the quads, the dirt bikes, and they're ready to do a drive-by shooting. Turn the lights off! This way they won't see the house! So National Night Out, I remember the first ones. You were supposed to sit on your porch, turn the light on. All the neighbors are out there. They're being vigilant. They're keeping an eye on what's going out. Old school, right? Now, you look at National Night Out. Uh, yes, uh, our National Night Out at this precinct was from uh, 6 o'clock to 730. Uh, we didn't want to go beyond dusk because we couldn't guarantee the safety of all the participants. What? That's, that's National Day Out. That's not, not National Night Out. Go up to the Bronx, right? The Bronx. Oh, you've all seen it. It's gone viral. They have a Dominican Day Parade in the Bronx. Now, there's going to be another one next week in Manhattan. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to see what happens here. The Trinitarios, which is a Dominican vicious predatorial gang. Many of them illegal. Check their papers. Let ICE do their job. Bag them, tag them. Make them do their time for crime here and then deport them back to the DR. No. Because I saw thugs. Limigra. Limigra. Andale, andale. No, 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 no. So you got you to stay. So they're up and down the Bronx. Most people there, they're celebratory. They're waving their Dominican flags. Try to find the freaking American flag that was being, you know, it's like you're flying the Dominican flag, right? You left the Dominican Republic. What the hell are you flying the Dominican Republic flag for? Oh, you know, our roots. You know, we're tied to our roots. If your roots were so good, you wouldn't have left the DR to come to America. How about flying an American flag? You want to fly the Dominican flag? Knock yourself out. But how about side by side with an American flag? It's like when I go to the suburbs. Leave it to Beaverland, Father Knows Best. Little house on the prairie. And then all of a sudden... I'm in the middle of a very affluent, upscale neighborhood, and they have pineapple flags, banana flags, peach flags, apple flags, and I'm saying, what the hell is that? Oh, well, it's a symbol. It repre- What does it represent? A pineapple flag? Could you tell me? 
What is the meaning of a freaking pineapple flag? The last pineapple I saw was, uh, remember Daniel Noriega? Remember from Panama, you know, with the machete, he had all that acne on his face. And Bush 41 said, you know, he's been a friend, but we found pornography and coquina in his compound. So we got to test out some new armaments and we gotta th- we gotta throw a few stealth bombers uh, over Panama City, and we leveled the place. And the reason for that, because because Noriega was reading pornography and doing coke. This is a major violation of the agreements that you have with the United States. You see, you gotta come up with a reason. <laughs> we gotta come up with a reason to whack the guy. He watches pornography and he (laughs) inhales coke and he really has a pineapple face. He never used Clearasil when he was growing up, so we got to put him out of his misery. We left him in a dungeon in Florida for about 30 years. Before that, oh, he's our friend, you know. It was like Muammar Gaddafi, oh, our friend. He hates Jews, but at least he's a friend of us. Hey, Muammar, you want to give up all your nuclear weapons? No problem, Bush 43, no problem. Then all of a sudden, some guy wearing a Yankee cap in the deserts outside of Tripoli catches Muammar Gaddafi, puts a 22 where the sun don't shine, and puts him on the Paradise Express and zooms him up to Allah's side. Do you think they would have done that if he kept his nuclear weapons? Of course not. You know, if you're friends with America, boy, you better watch your back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're friends for how long we can use you. By the way, some of the subjects we're going to touch on today. Coming up next, oh, oh, you altacockers are going to love this. Hey, I'm an altacock. I'm 68. You know, I take my Geritol every day. I got gray hair. You know, I'm developing, uh, you know, I have no bowel issues. You know, it always comes with age. You know, it's, it's tough. Well, what can I say? But the senior citizens of America are fighting back. Oh, my God. Did you see what happened in Cali, Cali? Did you see the people in their 90s and 80s and 70s are arming themselves with AK-47s, with shotguns, with handguns, and they're being encouraged by their sheriffs? We don't have enough sheriffs, so you know what? Because we can't be there, shoot them. And you don't even have to drag them inside. Just leave them out in the yard. Oh, God. Oh, God, that's better than sex, hearing that message. Oh, my God, that is so tittle. Can you imagine an old Kaja, you know, served in the Korean War? Oh, my God, I get to shoot them? And I don't even have to drag them outside? Florida! DeSantis land! Where senior citizens are feared. And now, even in Gus Newsom land in California. Oh, we're going to be talking about all that. So much to talk about, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to Fred, though, in Middletown, New York. Your turn to be heard here, and I can't say it. But go ahead, Fred. I, I, uh, Curtis, I didn't even want to call. I love your monologue so much. I don't want to disturb it. But I just have to correct uh, your rant about the Loch Ness Monster. There is a Loch Ness Monster. I, it just landed in Taiwan. Very good. Very cogent of you, Fred. I don't know if you were listening 24 hours ago, Fred, when I ran through the litany of the battles of the Chinese nationalists, Chiang Kai-shek versus Mao Zedong and Zhou Enlai. That's right. 
And then eventually the establishment of Taiwan, which took over for Formosa. Yes, uh, it was scintillating radio. You know, it was putting me to sleep. It was like NPR. I said to myself, <laughs> what's happening to me? What have they done to me? Because of the instructions. Oh, you have to do this. You have to do this. Don't talk about this. You know, we don't want to upset the rhythm that Frank Morano has established. You know, you have to interview guests. Interview this, okay? I'm sorry, Fred. I'm, I'm venting here. You know, Fred, you know, I, 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 after paying child support, I don't have money for a shrink or a therapist. You know, I just got to vent my anger. You notice, Fred, I do have some severe anger management issues, Fred. Well, the good news is that the Loch Ness Monster will be leaving behind some fossils, hopefully very soon. That's right. Where is Nancy Pelosi right now? Taipei. You think she's staring off, looking at President Who, what's on second? I don't know who's on third. Let's belly flop right into home plate. No, 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 no. You think Joe Biden hiding out in his basement is saying, thumbs up, Nancy. They didn't turn us into a glass highway like they promised. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is in honor of Frank Morano and Rachel. Wherever they may be, lovey-dovey. Why? Because she has done the one thing that is like, um, it's like a Spanish fly. Let me explain this. She knows Frank Morano's penchant because he loves cheese. He loves fromage. She has purchased, not from the Beyonce collection or from any of the other Trendoid collections, Velveeta nail polish. I kid you not, Velveeta has nail polish. And the moment Frank caught a whiff of that Velveeta nail polish, he went kukulamunga. My God, the love is flowing. Maybe that's why he needs a vacation. Two vacations in what, how many months? I haven't had a vacation, period. You know when my vacation will be? When I'm dead. Because all they, all you do is sleep. They put you, they fold your arms, right? They put you in a casket. They give you a half suit. They give you half shoes. And everybody passes by and they say, look at Curtis. He looks so much better in death than he ever did in life. The mortician did a magnificent job. Or if you're coming from awake, you ever notice, how did the body look? How, how, did, how did the body look? Did, did he or she look better than they really did? Before they pass to the hereafter. And naturally, you have to lie. Oh, I never saw them look better than in death. 
And you know, to a lot of the friends of Frank Marano uh, who have become Eric Adams Republicans, I can't believe I'm reading this political article. Oh, Republicans love Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, who's right now at the Club Zero Bond while there's shootouts galore in the city. Cops are being beaten up. Yeah, read the political article. They are vacationing in Greece. Hey! I'm saying to myself, God, what has become of us? We've really lost it. You think I've lost it. We've all lost it. We have lost our minds. Well, uh, Republicans, I was like, oh, what's the point of being a Republican? Why don't I just become a rent-a-wreck Democrat? I'll, I'll, I'll be a Hessian. I'll be a mercenary. Yeah, you can just lend me out. It's like, you know, you go to a demolition derby and you have all these old cars that just smash into one another <laughs> and then you can't drive them anywhere. Yeah, come on over. Be a Hessian. Be a mercenary. Join the Democrats because they can't even fight their own internal enemies. AOC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors. So because we can't fight our own demons, we need to rent Republicans because we know you're foolish enough to become one of us and think. It's like a jello pudding pop pie, you know. Jello will last forever. Put it in your refrigerator. That freaking Jello will last for a lifetime. Yeah, yeah, and you can eat the moldy, uh, oldy Jello. You know, like eight months, it will survive a nuclear attack. Everything else will be incinerated. The only thing left in the fridge will be the bowl of Jello. And I can see some of you women out there say, "Oh, I had gelatin every day when I was developing my nails. Look at the cuticles; they're so strong because of the gelatin." So, what did you go out and do? You bought box after box of Jello. You had it in your freezer. You had it in your fridge. You were eating Jello morning, noon, and night because I didn't want to break my nails. Jello. Oh, I had sisters. That's all they would eat all day long. Jello. Well, Alita, why are you eating Jello? Oh, it strengthens my cuticles, my nails. You know, I like the natural nails, not the extension. So you eat jello. Oh, yes, it strengthens. You see, we're subject to believing any propaganda. You make a commercial, you say, oh, jello strengthens your nails. Oh, I, I got it. You, you know, I, for dinner, I want jello. In fact, I want it for brunch, lunch. Oh, that's Frank Morano's favorite brunch, right? A liquid brunch, I might add. By the way, did you notice they have Velveeta cocktails now? My God. You know, Frank Morano is like six martinis to the wind before noon every day. Now he has Velveeta cocktails. I don't know what it is about you people out there who love cheese and we love fromage. But the cheese heads in Wisconsin, they know that, and they're feeding the beast. Nail polish, cocktails, and you're all buying it, and you're... It's like you're a pig in a trough. You can't get it. Well, guess what? When we come back, the senior citizens in America are fighting back. Not the hipsters and the millennials. Please don't hurt me. Take my money. Oh, not the senior citizens. They're saying, guess what? You see this double-barrel sawed-off shotgun? It's fully loaded. Meet your maker, pal. Bang! They're 90, they're 80, they're 70, and they're fighting back. Thank you. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. radio the way it should be, in which we extol the virtues of the Alta Caucus to senior citizens. Because the young whippersnappers there, they don't fight back, they're wusses. Oh, they're snowflakes. They want to cancel everybody out. They get beat down. They retreat. They surrender. They wave the white flag. Oh, please don't hurt me. Take my money. Take my family jewels it doesn't matter i can have i can go into transition i can become another gender i can become another sex i'm permitted to do that there are 72 different ways that i could describe myself please don't bend me over please don't what a bunch of wusses in america young people they don't fight they capitulate They abuse the elderly. They take advantage of the elderly. They make fun of the elderly. And I'm one of them, right? I'm AARP, ladies and gentlemen. I will never forget when I was 49. I'm 68 now every freaking day getting that junk mail from the United States Postal Service. It's the only thing that keeps them in business from completely going bankrupt. AARP. Every day you get a letter. You're soon to be 50. Look at this. We have coupons for you. We have advantages. Oh, we have half price. Oh, and when you go for your blue plate special at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, when you're drooling, oh, look at look at all the things. Oh, isn't it so good to be AARP? No, it's not. Although nowadays we need to salute those of you who are senior citizens because in America today, in which the criminals rule and our elected officials and appointed officials have handcuffed the men and women of police departments around America. And on this, we just finished National Night Out, which was national turn your light off because we have surrendered to the criminal element. There's one senior citizen out there who wants to destroy what America is. America is not government. America is not police. The America I was born into, the way I was raised by my father, my mother, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, was that you fight for what you know is right. You can control your own destiny. You don't wait for government. You don't wait for the police. When you see things are wrong, you take matters into your own hands. Now... What did they call me as a result of that? A vigilante. Really? They made a documentary. It's called Vigilante. 
about Curtis Lee and the Guardian Angels. You know, I'd rather be a vigilante who fights for right, who's not feckless and weak, who doesn't retreat, who doesn't allow the criminals to take control of our quality of life and scare the bejeebers out of us. I'm tired of depending on the elected officials and appointed officials. They have universally abandoned us. They won't let the police do their job. No, they won't. But isn't it interesting that the baby boomer generation is showing Americans once again what they can do when all else fails and all they want you to become is a victim? You know, people in their 60s and 70s, 80s and 90s are fighting back. That's why this was a great song, because it epitomizes what Americans should be doing for themselves, their families, their neighborhoods, their fellow citizens. In fact, it should get to the point where we call 911 to scrape up the body outside in the street because the citizens took matters into their own hands. If government won't protect the people, if government will not allow the police to uphold their sworn duty, which they want to do, if government will render them impotent, well, guess what? Government will not render the people in impotent. Let's look at a certain case here. Outstanding case. Think of people when they're 80 years old. How many of them are in senior citizen homes? How many of them have been told, you know, just sit on the sidelines. There's nothing more you can do. You're old. You have arthritis, rheumatism. You have all kinds of medical issues. Don't get involved. It's time for a new generation, right? I mean, how many of you whippersnappers are telling me at 60, hey, move aside. No, no, no. You, you, you. Give me grief, and I'm going to bust your teeth. I'm going to hit you so hard, your mother will feel the vibrations till the day I die. And there are a lot of other people that are cut from the same cloth. I know that. I run into them all over America. That's why I have so many guardian angel groups all over America, because they are people who think just like me. It's our responsibility to stand up and fight for right. Let me introduce you to an 80-year-old store owner, 80 years old. He's behind the counter, right? We talked about Jose Alba in Harlem on 139th Street and Broadway. Remember when that monster came over the counter? You don't come over the counter. There's, There's the unwritten rule. You come over the counter, you're a dead man, dead woman walking. And I don't care where it is. It can be in the middle of a desert. It can be a village, a borough, a township. It can be a suburb, it can be a municipality, but you do not violate the sanctity of what is behind the counter. You may want to just act out, you may want to just break out, you know, out there in the middle where the store items are, and I'm sure at that point the store staff or the store owner can make a determination of what what they want to do. I want to salute this 80-year-old store owner. Imagine, he's 80 years old. He's still manning this convenience store, which is in San Bernardino County. Many of you have ever been in L.A., you know, you want to head out to Vegas. You end up going through San Bernardino County. Eh, not necessarily a place you want to live in. It's not bad. It's not good. It's like meze, meze, poco, poco. And this 80-year-old guy has a shotgun under the counter. And he's got 
TV cameras aimed in the parking lot because he knows what's going on in California. It's lawless. It's anarchy. People don't go to San Quentin and Folsom Prison anymore. If Johnny Cash would have performed nowadays in Folsom Prison, nobody would be there because they're all out in the streets gangbanging. This guy is in his store 2.45 a.m. on a Sunday morning. An SUV drives in with thugs, young thugs, with testosterone crashing through their cranium. They pull out fully loaded with clips, AK-47s. He doesn't put his hands in the air. He doesn't hide. He doesn't beg, please, don't hurt me. Take the money. He grabs the shotgun. And as they walk in, I want you to listen. Use theater of the mind. It's an 80-year-old guy. He's got his shotgun. He sees them. Sees them on the video cam, walking in with the AK-47s with the masks. Listen to what happened on the inside of that store. 2.45 a.m. He fired the shotgun first before they shot him. And he shot the guy's arm off. And they went running out like the cowards that they really were. And I want you to hear the sound of what was going on outside as they tried to flee. They're burning rubber out of there. The one guy, his arm is hanging off. The other two, they're they're struggling. Like uh, They're trying to get into the SUV. They're all in a panic. They never expected the 80-year-old guy to fight back. Because, look, out in California, all the district attorneys have been supported by Soros. He's the 91-year-old who wants elderly people to be victims. He wants all of us to be victims. He's spending millions and millions of dollars to help elect DAs who are pro-criminal, not pro-victim, like our own Alvin Bragg in Manhattan. You know, Alvin Bragg, friend of the criminals, turn him loose, Alvin Bragg, but he's not alone. Is Kramer in Philadelphia. You saw Boudin in San Francisco. They took him out with a recall. And same thing's going to happen in L.A. County to Gasson. This Fox in Chicago, I could go through the whole laundry list. And in the Wall Street Journal, you know what the trillionaire Soros said at 91? I'll spend every last penny until the day I die to elect DAs who turn them loose. Soros, I hope you're dying tonight in your sleep. Because the people who are most abused are the seniors. And I can see all across this country, especially in California, but more importantly, Florida, that that ain't happening no more. I want you to listen. Listen to this 80-year-old store owner who, upon shooting the arm off of that one thug, all three thugs went to a hospital. They were all arrested. You know they're going to be turned loose. It's just a matter of time. And they're going to come back for the guy. They're going to come back for that. I know. I've been there in California. 
I know what it's like in L.A. County. I know what it's like in Riverside, San Bernardino, on the way to Vegas. Bartow, that's where all, all the bikers hang out. Oh, yeah, they, they will seek revenge. And you know this old timer will stand and fight even if he's the last person in that store. I want you to listen to this guy, the 80-year-old store owner, Craig Cope. I just did what I had to do. I would always protect my employees, my customers, myself. This instance, fortunately, I was here by myself, so I had to worry about that. I took care of it, and that was that. Then he's asked, what would you say to other store owners who were in that same situation? You know, recently you saw the case out in California. This guy was going around at 7-Elevens killing the guys behind the counter who were serving up the nachos and the slurpees, killing them because they're not permitted to have a weapon. You know, it's Southland Corporation. No, you can't have guns. You can't have weapons. You can't defend yourself. And they were slaughtered all throughout Southern California. This was his message as an 80-year-old store owner to other store owners. And what is your message to fellow business people here in the area and in Southern California? Because there has been an uptick in these types of liquor store, convenience store crimes. I think uh, more people should vote and vote the right way. And uh, I think the politicians, this isn't going to get me on the right side of a lot of people, but uh, there's a whole lot of people out there. They got no clue what it's like to try to run a small business. And and when they're letting these people out, and we got bad people, let's face it, there's bad people. Bad people we don't need. We need to get them locked up. Because it's a scary situation when that happens. And uh, um, everybody works hard. They got bills to pay. These guys going to come in and take it away from you? Not here. This is the American spirit. 80 years old. He's been working his whole life. After he shot this guy's arm off, and they reattached the arm at taxpayers' expense. Me, I would have said, one arm. Next time he goes in to rob somebody, he'll do it with one arm, not two arms. But he had a heart attack afterwards. He went to the hospital. They took care of him. He went home. And you know what he said upon being in bed? I can't wait to get behind that counter. Anybody else say what I said? That's it. You think uh, the geriatric president, Joe Biden, should bring him and give him the Congressional Medal of Honor in D.C., right? Papa Chulo, Joe Biden, hell yes. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, you know, I'm standing up to the red Chinese menace. No, you're not. You think as a constituent of hers, although he doesn't live in a congressional district, it's a little north, but certainly a pretty boy, Gus Newsom, who uh, embraces the criminals and wants to be our next president over my dead body because he's right out of central casting. You think he should... Invite him to Sacramento and give him the top medal for heroic service by citizens. They have them in California. I know. They won't. But let's go one better. He's not alone. I know a lot of you are saying, I can't imagine as a 80-year-old that I would do that. Let's go to a 91-year-old man who shot a home invader not far from him in California 
from River in Riverside, California. Uh, I'm the owner of the property back there. Had a burglar. And he didn't quite make it. 93-year-old Joe Teague was at his property on Eucalyptus Avenue in Moreno Valley around 1230 this morning when he says he confronted several people breaking into the home. They parked at the curb and then they, they went back, kicked the door open, and they went in. And I believe there was ladies and men. But Teague was armed with a gun. And I approached him to put him under citizen's arrest. They, they wouldn't hear to that. One of them come at me with a fishing pole. And they kept throwing stuff at me, just like, you know, it was just like somebody comes to an, uh, you know, a, a gunfight with a, a pocket knife, you know. Have you had a lot of problems here lately? I mean, yeah, oh, a lot like of that. problems. That's not the first time they happen. They've been, they've been breaking in very often. A family member of Teague's told us this morning he'd been dealing with a number of burglaries lately. He's an old retired plumber, and he has a lot of tools. He got a lot of antiques, and he was a musician as well, so he got a lot of uh, uh, music instruments. And little by little, they've been ripping him off. I've had a lot of problems with the police department even showing up at burglaries. He was tired because every time they called the police, police was taking forever to come in and uh, assist him, and he took it, you know, the law in his own hands. Damn right. Teenagers preying on the elderly. It's happening everywhere. 93-year-old guy calling the cops and not coming, not coming. What does an American do at that point? Do you retreat? Do you surrender? Do you say, hey, I'm going to go to a senior citizen home? He's 93. He's living in his own house. He's not a burden to anybody, right? He's taking care of himself. And they keep breaking into his house to steal his tools. And finally, he says, enough is enough. He's got his gun, and he shot them right between the eyes. How come he isn't being put on a pedestal? The 80-year-old in California... The 93-year-old in California, they say there's nothing we can do. It's a crime wave. Oh, we got to capitulate. We got we to gotta wonder, gee, well, why does that young man have all the furniture upstairs and rearranged in the wrong rooms? We have to be empathetic and sympathetic to him. No. If they're not going to get locked up, if we're not going to let the police do their job on this, what just passed, National Night Out, when almost nobody was out once dusk hit, because everyone is so afraid. It took the baby boomer generation, a generation that served in Vietnam, served in Korea, to show the young whippersnappers what could be done. Stop being snowflakes. Stop being afraid of your own shadow. 93-year-old guy doing what Americans have always done. 80-year-old guy doing what Americans have always done. In California, that's frowned upon, right? Cal- oh, my God, you have to have your granola in the morning. You know, you're doing your yoga exercises. You have to do crisis intervention. You have to try to figure out, why is this person so angry? Why do they want to steal my property? Hell no, shoot them. You think they're going to come back? <laughs> I want to take you to the other side, Florida, where Gus Newsom, right, pretty boy in California, the governor, is running ads. Believe it or not, he's running ads in DeSantis land. He wants people to leave Florida to come to California. 
He's out of his mind. I want you to listen about the story of the 70-year-old Florida woman outside of Orlando who shot her home invader. It was truly terrifying to have a man break into her home. She felt like she had to jump into action and defend herself, so that's why she says she shot him right at the end of the driveway. I didn't know what he was going to do, but I knew I was going to protect myself. I'm a fighter. I'm, I'm going to defend myself. 70-year-old Virginia Morrison was inside her house yesterday afternoon near Bentwood Street and Farwell Avenue when she heard the door handle moving. The next thing she knew, there was an intruder in her home. And he stepped in. And I just turned around and I said, who are you? What do you want? Nothing. This guy never said a word the whole time he was here. She told him to leave and hit him with a broom, but says he swatted it away. Then her partner got his gun and Virginia got hers. Virginia's partner fired a warning shot from inside the house and Virginia went into the backyard. But that's when she says the intruder went outside and started walking toward her. I fired a warning shot, told him to back off. He just kept coming. So she shot him in the chest. And I didn't realize I'd hit him, but... Once I look, he had a hole right here in his T-shirt, and I thought, I got him. Virginia's neighbors say she's a tough lady. And if you think about coming in here stealing or robbing somebody, you got another thing coming. Got another thing coming. Can we really say that young people would do that, or would they just give up all their valuables and possessions and then apologize and say, I'm sorry, you know, I've lived a privileged life. My complexion has been my protection. Just take everything. Take everything. Look locally. Did you see that Asian woman, 59-year-old seamstress, 8.30 in the morning, Times Square, 42nd and 7th. This monster named Anthony Evans comes behind her and slashes her. Slashes her. Picking on Asians. Why are black adults picking on Asians? That's right. I'm telling you time and time again. I'm looking at this situation. I have guardian angels in the Bay Area. They say, Curtis, look at this video. 70-year-old Asian woman beaten and kicked in the head at her apartment complex. She hadn't been out in months because of COVID. She finally was allowed to leave. And this group of teenage black male Thugs almost beat the life out of her. You can see that virally. You know, Dominic Carter, to his credit, has brought this up and say, why is it that black men are doing this? Black young adults, black thugs. Look, nobody wants to discuss it. They run away from it. Black leaders, are they addressing this? Is Eric Adams addressing this, the mayor in New York? Are other African-American elected officials addressing this? Of course not. Al Slim, Shady Sharpton, not. So you know what the Asian elderly are going to have to do? No more time to be victimized. You're going to have to get yourself a gun. You're going to have to protect yourself. You're going to have to fight for what you know is right because nobody else is protecting you. They won't let the police do it. Every time an Asian is beaten to within an inch of their life, oh, they have a rally. Oh, we got to stop anti-Asian hate, right? And the politicians disappear. 
and the beatings continue, and you see it over and over. Young black thugs beating up Asians. Anybody ask why? Why is this happening over and over, all over the country? All over the country. Every day, Asians are being turned into speed bumps, and many of them are senior citizens who've never harmed a fly. Oh, you can't, no, you can't say that, Chris. That's, no, come on. You're a racist. Oh, you call me a racist. I'm out in the streets while you're in the suites, right? I see it every day. I see the results of these attacks. I see the fear, the fright, the hysteria, the trauma. I see these elderly Asian people looking around knowing at any moment they're going to get jumped. They're going to get beaten. And nothing happens to those who do this. And they are predominantly black. What are you going to do? Call, go ahead. Call me a racist. Huh? Gonna call me a racist? Me? <laughs> me? I've crawled into the belly of the beast, places you only read about. Have you seen all the years this has been going on? San Francisco. New York City, Philadelphia, Chicago. I'll trigger off the list of where all these Asians are being targeted. I ask you why. It's envy. It's jealousy. It's hate. Because Asians are doing well. They come here with nothing in their pockets. They can't even speak the language. They put their kids in school. They work two, three jobs. Yeah, they gamble at night, no doubt about it. Without them, the casinos wouldn't be in business. But they take care of their own. They're not preying on anybody. And what do they get in return? They get preyed upon by predominantly black males. Why? Why doesn't anybody talk about that? Shh, come on, Curtis. Why do you want to talk about that? Is this Anthony Evans? You know what the victim said? The 59-year-old seamstress, the Asian seamstress, the Chinese seamstress who was slashed. I hope it's mental health related. A lot of them are not mental health related. Why is it happening? Jealousy, envy, hate. And if black leaders are not going to deal with it, then Asians have to protect themselves. Don't tell them they're racist because they profile. Don't tell them they're racist because they're profile. Because We won't let the cops help them. The elected officials only come together when it's an anti-Asian rally. You know, the Schumann, there's everyone else. Oh, we decry this. And they do nothing. And this continues. And this is a stain on America that we are allowing it to go on. And black leaders are doing no intervention amongst their young male thugs to stop this. And if they won't, I will continue to do it with the guardian angels because I've got my boots on the ground while they just, you know, they love to talk about, oh, well, kumbaya, you know, let live and let live all together forever. Bull feathers, bull feathers. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Love this song. This should be the anthem to fight back. 
damn right we got to take a stand. Where are the men? What does it mean to be a man? I was raised by my father. A man's man defends the women, the elderly, the children, the infirm, those who cannot defend themselves. What the hell have happened to the men in our society? Oh, I don't want to get involved. Ooh, let me get my iPhone, my smartphone. Let me film it. Let me put it on my, my, my social networking. My God. That's why so many people are fleeing to Florida, because they elect sheriffs. They elect black sheriffs, Hispanic sheriffs. They elect white sheriffs. And listen to what these sheriffs have to say. I want you to listen to a sheriff who describes... What's going to happen to you if you violate someone's rights? He calls it death by cop. Shortly after 1 p.m. today, we got a call of a man, our suspect living right behind in what you can call a house that has debris and garbage all over this place that's plaguing this area, that he was outside, naked, exposing his sexual organs. Patrol district deputies pull up. They engage him. They begin talking to him. He arms himself with a knife and a screwdriver. He's yelling profanity at them, sort of like a death-by-cop type interaction. And it continues. Eight. He retreats into his house. Deputies are surrounding the house. As he exits the back, he grabs a large kitchen knife. He picks it up. He starts going towards our deputy approximately 20 feet or less, and he says he's going to kill one of our deputies. Then the suspect proudly brags that he's a pagan biker. Our suspect happened to say before he got in the car while we were talking to him that he was very, very proud to have spent 50 years with the pagans and that he was a proud gang member. Well, today they lost. Today, family team Lee County Sheriff's Office wins the game. Lee County sheriff's department in florida took out the pagans and then he further describes this menace to society this enemy of mankind the guy is a career scumbag and i talked to the neighbors around here and they were probably were actually clapping when he came out to get him out of here i they told me that he was yelling at children that go down the street here and every time a kid would ride his bike or walk by his house he'd come out screaming and throwing furniture you know this is disgusting the great residents of this county not only deserve better, but they're going to get better. Isn't that great in Lee County? Law enforcement can come out and defend people and call this guy, this pagan, what he has been for 50 years, a scumbag. Can you imagine that happening here north of the Mason Dixon? Oh, that sheriff, there, got to get rid of him. You know, this pagan, you know, he was wayward. Why did he join the pagan motorcycle gang? Because he's an enemy of society. That's what the pagans are. That's what the hell's angels are. That's what these biker gangs are. Then I want you to listen to a sheriff in Florida who every Tuesday plays Wheel of Fugitive 
on the local TV station. I'm Sheriff Wayne Ivory, the Brevard County Sheriff's Office, and it is Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, right here in Brevard County. Time to spin the wheel, time for fugitives to go to jail. Our community partners with us each and every day to get them off the street. Let's give one of them a little extra incentive. Fugitive of the week. Here we go. Okay, folks, Jesse Owen Curtis. Mr. Curtis is a white male, date of birth 4-7 of 87. His charges are failure to appear for hearing reference burglar of a dwelling, grand theft from a dwelling. He's got no bond. His last known location is the Palm Bay area. Now, Mr. Curtis, I'm not holding out a lot of hope for this because you've already failed to appear on your court date. So I'm just going to say this. You're either going out to the Brevard County Jail and turn yourself in, or we're going to come crash in your door wherever you're at, cuff you, stuff you in the car, and then take you out of the jail anyway. So go do the right thing. Go show the judge you're ready to get this chapter of your life behind you and stop messing up, stop making mistakes. If not, you know what happens. You know what happens. I mean, now you know why people are going down to Florida. These men, these women down there, they run for office. As, as sheriffs, they have to get elected. They go before the people. Hey, Florida has had bad crime. I have guardian angels all over Florida. I've been in the middle of shootouts there, uh, right in Orange County, outside of Orlando. They call it Pine Hills. We call it Crime Hills. They, they were firing tracer bullets over us. Walked out to the deputy sheriff. I said, hey, you going to do anything about it? He said, you crazy? The hell, I'm here by myself. <laughs> Most other sheriffs say, they don't say we're crazy. We're coming. We may not have enough now, but we're coming back for you. That's the difference. That's why people are going to Florida. Has nothing to do with DeSantis alone. It has to do with the attitude in each of the counties, from the Panhandle as you go towards Alabama, to the north, to the central part of the state, and the southern part of the state. Listen to Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd. We're going to charge directly to the threat. There's no mustering. There's no gathering up. This is the last thing you'll see. We're going to shoot you graveyard dead. I mean, and, and criminals are watching this on TV. They know. Whoa. Can you imagine anybody north of the Mason-Dixon line? Can you imagine a police commission? Well, we need to be sensitive. We have to understand what may have created this evil seed that has become a domestic terrorist. Hell no. They tell you, you violate the law. You, you you terrorize somebody, and because good people have guns down there, you may get shot and killed, not by the deputy sheriffs or the sheriff, but by the people first. Listen to what Polk County Sheriff Grady Judge was encouraging his residents to do. I would tell them if you value your life, you probably shouldn't do that in Polk County because the people of Polk County like guns. They have guns. I encourage them to own guns, and they're going to be in their homes tonight with their guns loaded. And if you try to break into their homes to steal, to set fires, I'm highly recommending they blow you back out of the house with their guns. So leave the community alone. This is what we need. This is the only way to get back on track. We've left it to the politicians, the Democrats and Republicans. They have failed us. 
We need to have people like these sheriffs. They understand why they were elected to provide law and order in the community, to serve the community. But they know they don't have enough resource. They know they don't have enough men and women. And they're telling you, get a gun, we'll teach you how to use a gun, and then if they come into your property, violate you, commit a crime, shoot them. Listen more. And I want to say, uh, as to the person, we don't know what homeowner, which homeowner shot at him. Um, I guess they think that they did something wrong, which they did not. If somebody's breaking in your house, you're more than welcome to shoot them in Santa Rosa County. We prefer that you do, actually. And I, I want to hear that again. You know, can you imagine that taking place anywhere in the north? We welcome that you shoot them again. And I want to say, uh, as to the person, we don't know what homeowner, which homeowner shot at him. Um, I guess they think that they did something wrong, which they did not. If somebody's breaking in your house, you're more than welcome to shoot him in Santa Rosa County. We prefer that you do, actually. But he buttresses that by saying, hey, you know, we know that not everybody is in Annie Oakley is a sharpshooter. So he makes a certain recommendation if you happen to be moving to Santa Rosa, which a lot of people up here are. Whoever that was, you're not in trouble. Come see us. We have a gun safety class we put on every other Saturday. And if you take that, you'll shoot a lot better, and hopefully you'll save the taxpayers money. I, I got to hear that again. That's like music to my ears. This, yes, this is the way it should be. Whoever that was, you're not in trouble. Come see us. We have a gun safety class we put on every other Saturday. And if you take that, you'll shoot a lot better, and hopefully you'll save the taxpayers money. They don't talk about liars for hire, ambulance chases, you could be sued, don't take the law into your own hands, wait for the police, call 911. Everything they tell us up north, and you wait, and you wait, and they got guns to your head, they're picking your pockets, they're driving your car out. This is happening in Staten Island all the time now. You know, the thugs, the, uh, the, the boys come in from uh, Newark, the carjack boys, they do home invasions. They steal cars in Staten Island. They drive back over the Outer Bridge crossing, the Bayonne Bridge, Chicago's Ridge. You think they pay the tolls? Of course not. Hey, Roz Baraka, the mayor there. See, he appreciates that because this, this way they're not committing crime there. He, he outsources the crime. Man, you know, these mayors, they get a lot of face time. They talk a lot of bull feathers. And they don't do jack up here in the north. You go to Florida, they know why they were elected to protect the people, not the thugs. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. When I paint playing this for Vince McMahon Jr., the perv. Oh, my God. How many non-disclosure agreements did women have to sign up as he was perving on them? I wonder what Mrs. McMahon is going to do. Remember, she was the former. She was the former head of the Small Business Association in America for the Trump presidency. Secretary of Small Business. I have a feeling Vince is having to do a lot of explaining. A lot of explaining. Because all of a sudden, he's become the perv of all pervs. All these non-disclosure agreements. Vince! 
You broke a heart, Vince. Anyway, let's go to the phones here. Let's go to Kenny out in Oyster Bay. Your turn to be heard here, Kenny. He waited on how much time there? Just to be able to scream that out. Now, maybe it was the music, you know, you feeling like a man, you know, instead of the, the eunuch that so many men have become. Men have become like eunuchs. Yeah, look down your trousers. Probably uh, you got cocktail onions there where you got to look uh, under an electron microscope, put a little red dye on it. Oh, I don't want to get involved. Oh, gee whiz. Maybe I'll just watch it on TV and complain about it. Wow. Uh, let's go, if we can, to Jay, who I believe is calling from Ohio. Yeah, what's up, Curtis? Now, what's up with you? Hey, listen, man, everything you said is right. You know, men got to get cojones, and you got to take your tax dollars where it's going to be respected. You know what I mean? You know, police are there, but the police ain't there to protect you. You have to, you know, your own protection is your, it's your own responsibility. And if you can't get it where you're at, you need to move somewhere where you can get it. Oh, we're in agreement on that, Jay. That's why so many people are leaving their states because they feel like they're not being permitted to protect themselves, that the deck is stacked against them. The criminals, they can get guns. They can go out. They can pillage. They can rob. They can rape. They get cut loose. They come back and do it again and again. And then when you as a citizen say, you know, I'm tired of being victimized. No, no, you can't have a gun. Sorry. I'm glad I don't live in a state where where I can't get justice. I live in a state where I can get justice. So you and live in uh, gonna... you live in Ohio, the Buckeye State, where you can have a carry permit. Well, listen, out here now they they went to the uh, constitutional carry, which means that you don't have to get a permit. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm well familiar with that. I got guardian angels in Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland is chaos. Chaos. It, who gets most impacted? Black and Hispanic folks, minorities. They're the ones who have to deal with criminals within their own midst who terrorize them, intimidate them, rob them, rape them, steal from them. And then they're being told by others, normally white people, Oh, you got you got to be more sensitive. You got to be more empathetic. Those white people who live in mansions, you know, Mick Whitey whites, we call them. Oh, you got to be more sensitive. All these uh, justice warriors, Democrats, socialists of America. You notice most of them are white. Most of them are sons and daughters of privilege. Most of them had their milk money stolen from them in elementary school, and they cried. And then all of a sudden, they leave mommy and daddy, but they live on a blind trust because, obviously, they don't want to work. They just want to talk about social revolution, you know, how they want to change the world. And, you know, okay, they invaded my home. There was a home invasion. But, you know, maybe I was a son and daughter of privilege. Maybe I should have just given them my worldly valued goods you know, maybe I, I didn't deserve to live in an apartment like this or a home like this or have a job like this or a car like this. Maybe I should just give it before they steal it. 
No, because they're going to come back for you anyway. And they're going to take they're going to take your hood. You know what that means? To take your hood? They're going to take your manhood. They're going to take your womanhood. They're going to rape you. And I'll never forget, there was spokesperson for the Black Panther Party, Elrich Cleaver, wrote a book called Soul on Ice. I read it. You know, as a kid, I read it. I'm reading chapter, chapter 13. Rape of a white woman is not a crime. It's righting the wrongs of past eras. And then all of a sudden, he would be cultivated by Leonard Bernstein and others and liberals and progressives on Park Avenue. And they would throw money at the Black Panther Party. He said, Elridge, tell us. Tell us when, when you raped white women how it was a revolutionary act. And he would speak about that for an hour. And they would all... Now imagine if he picked out of the crowd one of the white women there who were applauding, saying, after this, I'm going to rape you because it's a revolutionary act. Oh, please do. Please do. Write all the, the injustices of, of past societies and past... These white people are crazy. And yet it's happening again with a new generation. Ah, Bradley Cooper is doing uh, a movie here. You know, while he's uh, messing around with uh, my partner on the weekend, Saturday, Anthony Weiner, left and right, you know, three to four, he's messing around with his former wife, Riley. He's doing a movie about Leonard Bernstein. Let's see if they tell the truth. This is the guy who used to have a show on Saturdays. You know, he was the conductor, maestro of the New York Philharmonic National Show. He did the scores of many Broadway musicals, West Side Stories, probably his most famous production. The guy was, like, totally gay, right, at a time when you couldn't be out of the closet, but everybody knew about it. And then he would host these parties in which he would bring in the Black Panthers who would tell these stupid white people, yeah, you're lucky we don't rape you, rob you, steal from you because of what you did to our people years ago. And they said, yeah, so we'll give you a lot of money. Please don't do it to us again. Schmucks, putzes, pishers, schmendricks. Oh, that really worked. That really worked. I, I'm sure they all learned a lesson about that. No, they said, wow, there are a lot of sucker white people around. We could take this show on the road. We can go to all these liberal progressive cocktail parties where they have Perrier with a twist of lime. And we can intimidate the hell out of people and tell them it's all right to do that. Oh, please. Please. Just can you take this now as a down payment? I'll give you the rest of my blind trust, really. I know I owe this to you. What the hell has happened to our nation? National night out, and it it ended before dusk. Oh, can't leave your lights on. You could be victimized by drive-by shootings. Well, why are we having a national night out? Fear, fright, hysteria, hide, please, hide. Don't intimidate the thugs. No, don't get them angry. Don't don't take the law into your own hands. That's right. Matt Blaze, Ken, Alex, the McWhitey Whiteys. Just call nine one one. No, no, no. Don't get him. You might get hurt. You might get sued. Be impotent. Be a eunuch. Walk around and sort of just. Have that Michael Jackson soprano voice and say, I'm a victim, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. To hell if I'm ever a victim. I'd rather be dead. 
Anyway, let's go to the phones. This is not the kind of program that a Frank Morano would do, that's for sure. Uh, let's go to Corey, who's calling all the way from Florida. Is that correct, Corey? That is correct. Which part of Florida are you calling from, Corey? Palm Bay. Oh, you know, we we, yeah. we featured your, your sheriff here. Exactly. So I, mean, I wanted to see where I find that blotter or whatever his announcement. I probably know these schmucks because, I, you know, I, I keep an eye on the schmucks in the neighborhood and, you know, we're running around. Oh, well, wait, the Wheel of Fugitives. Every, every oh. county should have this. I mean, I want you to listen, Corey. Listen to your sheriff, what he does every Tuesday on the local network. I'm Sheriff Wayne Ivory, the Brevard County Sheriff's Office, and it is Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, right here in Brevard County. Time to spin the wheel. Time for fugitives to go to jail. Our community partners with us each and every day to get them off the street. Let's give one of them a little extra incentive. Fugitive of the week. Here we go. He doesn't have Vanna White there, does he? But it doesn't matter. Go ahead, Sheriff. Spin that wheel. Take them all out. Who's the lucky thug? Okay, folks. Jesse Owen Curtis. Mr. Curtis is a white male, date of birth 4-7 of 87. His charges are failure to appear for hearing reference burglar of a dwelling, grand theft from a dwelling. He's got no bond. His last known location is the Palm Bay area. Now, Mr. Curtis, I'm not holding out a lot of hope for this because you've already failed to appear on your court date. So I'm just going to say this. You're either going out to the Brevard County Jail and turn yourself in, or we're going to come crash in your door wherever you're at, cuff you, stuff you in the car, and then take you out of the jail anyway. So go do the right thing. Go show the judge you're ready to get this chapter of your life behind you and stop messing up. Stop making mistakes. If not, you know what happens. You know what happens. You see, that was good advice. You know, hey, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Go to the judge. You know, deal with the judge. Try to settle what you did wrong. But if not, we're going to send our crash unit. We're going to break down your freaking door. We're going to drag you out. We're going to stuff you in that car. And you, you're going to become an example for every other thug who thinks that they could commit crime in our county. That is so good. That's better than sex. It's refreshing. It's stimulating. Especially to me, I've been dubbed America, the world's number one vigilante. I feel so good after that. Realizing that there are other people out there just like me. And some of them wear uniforms with badges. And they actually are able to do the job that they were sworn to to give their life, to sacrifice in order to, to do, to protect all of us, especially those men, women, children, elderly, and the infirm who are not capable of defending themselves. See, that's what America is about. Land of the free, home of the brave. It's time for us men to start acting brave to protect those who are too afraid. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. No, Frank Morano. He's taking his second vacation, huh? A 
last few months. Hey, be careful. Everybody out there in talk radio. Coming for all of you out there. Like a Pac-Man. Eating up the talk radio real estate. You think this is hard work? Man, this is a joy. This is a pleasure. This is a honor to be given a microphone each and every day to talk to all of you. But it doesn't mean you get the microphone the next day. It gets lent to you. So you appreciate every moment, every second. And I'm not giving any of them back. And if you want to give up some of your radio talk time all across America, I'll be more than happy to Wally Pep you. Anyway, the reason we're playing this Credence Clearwater Revival song is because there's a situation not far from where I'm broadcasting to all of you. The power of a nationally syndicated radio show that Frank Morano has now. That I've assumed uh, for the time that he's away. Goes to 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and can be heard right on down at Davy Jones's locker. Out in the Caribbean between Bermuda and the Bahamas. That's how powerful this signal is. But we thought in our country that we had done away. With polio, there's a lot of people out there listening right now, the baby boomers and older, who know the devastation that polio had on our nation. In fact, on especially young young children, young adults all over the world, all over the world. And we thought, we thought through diligent medical care, through research, through vaccinations, that we had just about eliminated polio in our lifetime. In fact, with the uh, incineration of Zawari, leader of uh, Al-Qaeda, while he was out at the on his balcony right there in Taliban land, you know, having a, a kebab, that drone just incinerated him and everybody else on that balcony. Lesson to all of you Al-Qaeda gals, don't. Don't all of a sudden have brunch out on your balcony because all of a sudden there could be a drone overhead run by the CIA, our criminals in action, that just incinerate you. But it just so happens that the land that uh, Papichulo, President Joe Biden, abandoned, Afghanistan, which is now teeming with those who want to destroy America and destroy uh, what they call the little Satan, uh, Israel. It's Afghanistan and Pakistan are the two countries in the world that still have polio. And the disease is still classified as endemic. And what a lot of people don't realize is it can easily spread from those two countries. So whether we like it or not, we have to help them get rid of polio. I'm sure you've seen some of the film coverage you see all of a sudden in villages in Pakistan and Afghanistan. You see children who are incapable of walking, who have lost all control of their bodily functions. They're paralyzed because they have polio. And you say, that just can't be. And in the bayou years ago, 
They had plagues of polio just running through because especially youngsters to cool off in the humid, hot, sweltering heat down in the bayou of Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana would go swimming. And then all of a sudden, mysteriously, they would end up with paralysis. They would have polio. And I remember my father, Chester, who grew up in Chicago, he said the biggest fear that he and his brothers, my three uncles had, there was Leonard, there was Smitty, and there was Ernie, is that when they would go swimming in swimming holes out in Lockport, Illinois, up in Wisconsin where some of the Sliwa relatives uh, who had come from Poland had dairy farms, and in Lake Michigan itself, that they would get polio. In fact, their mother, Wanda, my grandmother, Polish uh, grandmother, would warn them, don't go swimming in there. You could get polio. And if we were to say that now, you say, well, what are you talking about, polio? We could go swimming uh, in Knapp Street in Cheapset Bay and the sludge pits uh, where they process the sewage, and we wouldn't get polio. Well, maybe that's not the case any longer. The polio virus has been detected in wastewater samples from early June in Rockland County and is genetically linked to a case confirmed last month in the area, according to the New York State Department of Health. And you see, when you're not vigilant, when you're not consistently always on top of these thousands and thousands of viruses that are out there, it can all of a sudden have a life of its own. So New York and Rockland County health officials in July announced the first confirmed case of polio in the United States since 2013 and launched a wastewater analysis soon after. When we were first getting hit with coronavirus and all of the variants, you know that a lot of scientists, uh, a lot of medical researchers were testing our waste at the various sludge areas where the waste is collected And then eventually either turned into fertilizer or recirculated. And you've seen the commercials where you can have a glass full of wastewater and then suddenly you're opening the faucet and drinking that wastewater because it's been purified. They test wastewater all the time. They're constantly testing it, not only for polio, not only for coronavirus and the various variants, COVID-19 and the other variants, But for a lot of other viruses, there are thousands, tens of thousands of viruses out there. And this is work that never gets the attention of the general public until, until all of a sudden something like this takes place. And I'm telling you, just like with monkeypox, right? 1958 monkeypox came about. Now they spend more time talking about why they want to change the name of monkeypox instead of figuring out... How did it come to this where it was pretty much sedated? Society wasn't suffering from monkeypox. And now there are emergencies being declared in New York, San Francisco, and other locales. Because you have a group of diligent men and women who are constantly checking for viruses, constantly trying to come up with medications and vaccines to make sure it does not become a world problem where it's been a local problem. So now that it's on our radar screen, and we really have to do something about this, say, you know, we talk about contact tracing, got to contact trace it. They think that genetically it's linked to samples from the greater Jerusalem, Israel area, but they're not sure. 
because the individual case identified in New York has some travel history in Israel, but they also have some travel history otherwhere, other locations. So I want to take you um, back in the time machine. This is what I do so often because, you know, everything goes full circle. Almost nothing is new. We've had to deal with it before. So even though it's not a priority, even though now we're still wrestling with the variants of COVID-19 and now monkeypox, and they'll tell you, oh, there have been two cases that affected children, you know, because it can be transferred uh, just by skin-to-skin contact or apparel contact. Well, it's not really true. For right now, it's mostly always transferred by transmission of bodily fluids by men and bisexuals who are having sex. It's that simple. You know, oh, you can't say that. Well, it's true. Unless there is research that suddenly indicates there are other ways that the monkeypox is spread. But I want to take you in the time machine. Because I remember spending many hours with my father and uncles in Chicago on my visits to them. Lockport between Joliet and Chicago, there was a Sliwa compound. And they would tell me when they were children, when they were young adults, the biggest fear they had was getting polio. Let's take you back in the time machine. Shortly after uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt of New York ran for unsuccessfully for vice president in 1920, he became quite ill. Within a few days, he could not use his legs and spent the rest of his life unable to do so. And later, when he became president... Most people did not know that he could not walk or stand without heavy leg braces and considerable assistance. He'd been diagnosed by his uh, physicians with a terrible disease called poliomyelitis, typically uh, struck children, uh, getting it the nickname of infantile paralysis. Excellent explanation, and it's true. I asked my father and uh, my uncles, did you know that FDR... uh was not able to stand on his own ability that, in fact, he had to be propped up. He said, we had no idea. We just looked at the newsreels. He looked, he looked okay to us. Uh, we call that camouflage. It's what we're doing with Joe Biden now. That's why he's in the basement there. Oh, you got reoccurring uh, COVID-19. Get out of here. It's a convenient excuse to keep him away from a teleprompter so he's not fumbling and stumbling and creating more problems for his staff, and more problems for the rest of us, because we say, what the hell did he just say? But FDR had polio, and eventually it became known by citizens because he would eventually go down to Warm Springs, Georgia. Roosevelt decided he wanted to do something about polio, so he established a foundation uh, to care for polio victims and to promulgate research on this and to head this foundation he asked his former law partner and very close friend, Basil O'Connor, somebody described him as a bulldog of a man, to take charge of this foundation. O'Connor would spend the next two decades uh, working tirelessly to try to figure out how to get a vaccine for this terrible disease. Well, what you need is money. And unfortunately, we were mired in the Great Depression at the time. And the usual sources for funding for research into disease it all dried up. So Connor went to Roosevelt and he said, look, we've got to find a new way to come up with money to fight polio. We've got to get every American 
to be willing to donate to this cause. And Roosevelt said, well, how are we going to do that? And O'Connor said, we're going to scare the hell out of the public. Oh, man, and they did. My father and uh, my uncles told me they scared the bejeebers out of them. You know, as I can remember when Michael Bloomberg was mayor in New York City and he tried to get people to stop smoking. Remember, he ran these constant PSAs in which you saw people in the the end of their lives suffering severely from lung cancer as a result of smoking for so many years. And people said, stop, stop. I don't want to see that any longer. But to Michael Bloomberg's credit, a lot of people watched those PSAs and they gave up smoking cigarettes. I mean... There were some horrible scenes there. He scared the bejeebers out of people. Less people smoke now as a result of those PSAs. And they're true. They're true. How many times, you know, you see somebody and then all of a sudden they're, they're talking through a box. How did that happen? Oh, smoking. Lung cancer strikes so quick and it can be so devastating. Now, it can occur for other reasons other than smoking. Well, let's face it, we've known people within our family who died a horrible death because of lung cancer much too early in their existence because they were addicted to cigarettes and especially Newport menthols. Oh, my God. But let's continue on our travels in the time machine now that Polio has resurfaced here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's in Pakistan. It's in Afghanistan. It is. But it can spread. And so he initiated a campaign of public relations, movie shorts, radio pieces, later television pieces, showing little children with leg braces, uh, later on people in iron lungs, literally to frighten the American people about this. And we didn't need much frightening because everybody was afraid of polio. Infantile paralysis. That might have been me, or you, little boy or girl. It strikes the poor and the rich. No one is safe from infantile paralysis, no matter who you are or what kind of home you live in. So Connor asked every American to send a dime to the president. The first year, $1.8 million worth of small change arrived at the White House. By the end of the 1940s, more than $22 million a year was pouring into the March of Dimes campaign, as it was called. It was during the Depression. People would send a dime if that's all they had. Infantile paralysis. My father and my uncles explained how they grew up with young boys and young girls who could not walk, who were bedridden, could not move their limbs, paralyzed. And they weren't quite sure why or how it came about, but they remember their mother, my grandmother, Wanda telling them, don't go swimming in that swimming hole. Don't go swimming in that pond. Don't go swimming in that lake. Don't go swimming in Lake Michigan. Well, my dad did it anyway, but the point being is there was a real fear. Everybody knew of people who had polio. President of the United States, a wealthy man with the best medical care possible, FDR, he had polio. Well, many scientists thought that a vaccine for polio wasn't possible. Others said it may be possible, but it'll be years and years in the making. But O'Connor was convinced that it could be done. 
1949, he promised that there would be a vaccine available very shortly. A couple of years later, he was on his way back from a conference in Europe on a boat, and he met a 36-year-old medical researcher by the name of Jonas Salk. And Salk was kind of a brash, maybe overconfident, aggressive young guy. And he told O'Connor, yeah, I can have one ready for you very quickly and mass-produced very quickly. The two men hit it off. They had an affinity that came on them very quickly. And O'Connor began to pour millions of dollars into Salk's University of Pittsburgh research lab. Pittsburgh. That's where it was created. Pittsburgh. That was Steel City at the time, but it was also the epicenter of research, as it still is now. Carnegie Mellon. A lot of our brightest men and women, not only from here, but all over the world, continue to do research there. Although most people, when they think of Pittsburgh, they don't think of that. Think of the Pittsburgh Steelers. They think of the steel city that it used to be, but now it's predominantly a white-collar city. But again, one guy, Jonas Salk, omnipotent, stubborn, But he tells him, you give me those dimes and I'll create a vaccine and eliminate polio in our lifetime. Salk's team, getting bigger and bigger, worked ferociously over the next few months and very quickly did have a killed virus vaccine. They began to test it on monkeys, hundreds of them. And this seemed to be working very nicely. And then they tested it on a handful of institutionalized children suffering from other conditions. Then Salk vaccinated his own family and then himself. He went to O'Connor and he said, we've got it. And O'Connor decided to initiate a massive test program to decide if this thing would really work. Over the next couple of years, two million school children were vaccinated with the Salk vaccine to see if it would work. I just happened to be one of those kids. There were so many who grew up and happened to be those kids. And if not for that, there would have been no cure. Remember, this was a global endemic. Could affect any child. As you heard the young lady describing it, it could affect the rich. It could affect the poor. It affect one of the wealthiest men in America, FDR. You know, they, they were the Kennedys of their lifetime in terms of their wealth and their family prestige, couldn't do anything. Couldn't do anything. And then once the vaccine was created, who went out there and sold the vaccine to America as he was jiggling and wiggling his pelvis on the Elvis, excuse me, on the Ed Sullivan show? While he was waiting to see Topo Gigio, the little Italian mouse. But that was not to be. Whatever I do, I always want to do my best for the teenagers. I certainly never want to do anything that would be a wrong influence. In the 50s, the polio epidemic overtook America and the world. Like the COVID-19 pandemic we face today, scientists hoped a vaccine would extinguish the dreaded disease. The problem was, the majority of teenagers who were at a high risk of contracting polio weren't interested in getting vaccinated. Today, public health officials face a similar challenge. In the 50s, they turned to Elvis. Elvis's career had skyrocketed after a memorable appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, yes, that's right, Elvis Presley. You ain't nothing but a fool. 
This is Elvis Presley. I ask you to listen. Remember me. Now, that's the voice of thousands who know the fight against polio is just as tough as it ever was. Some of them are paralyzed so that they can't even move a finger. Others can't do the simplest everyday things that we take so much for granted. Elvis publicized his inoculation backstage at the Ed Sullivan Show in 1956. Teens across the country followed in Elvis's footsteps and got their shots. Just imagine that. The guy that was deemed to be the Antichrist with 666 on his forehead by many of the Holy Rollers, Elvis. And he became the spokesperson for a new generation to get that polio vaccine or Many of them may have been paralyzed as my father and my uncles feared they might be simply from swimming in a swimming hole, a pond, a river, or Lake Michigan. It was water contamination, volatile organic compounds. We take it all for granted now. The biggest problem we have in the world right now is clean water. It's not enough clean water. So many illnesses, so many viruses come about because... People and nations do not have clean water, and they have to drink water. I mean, you got to breathe air, and you got to drink water, or you'll dehydrate. And the water they drink oftentimes is so contaminated with viruses, they end up dying horrible deaths, torturous deaths, or they become paralyzed just because they drink the water. Boy, how grateful we need to be each and every day not to be in that situation. Let's go to Johnny, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard. Hello. Yeah, um, Curtis, I got the live vaccine in the 50s when I was seven years old. And the next morning I couldn't move. I was paralyzed. Mm. My, my father was a physician. He had an office in East New York. He used to come to our house in Queens twice a day to exercise my legs. And if I understand it was like a month that I was like that. And my parents wouldn't let anybody in the neighborhood know because when I brought it up later on, nobody knew about it. But it, eventually it went away, fortunately. So that's my situation. No, well, you know, that was part of the remedy was the constant exercise since, as you knew, you were paralyzed. You couldn't move it. So your loving parents and your father, the doctor, knew that that was one of the remedies. It worked for some, but in other cases it didn't work. Uh, Thank God you recovered uh, and you no longer had those symptoms. But uh, at that time, do you remember other other children who were suffering from polio? No, no, I didn't. Mm. Lucky you didn't go through that. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, knowing about it later on with the the iron lungs and everything, uh, I don't think I could handle that. So uh, I'm lucky. I mean, think of that. People had to be placed in iron lungs. They couldn't breathe. It's like, remember, when we went through that first wave of coronavirus when Andrew uh, Evilized Cuomo's was screaming, ventilators, we need the ventilators, and people were dying. Right. Johnny, imagine a ventilator kept you alive, an iron lung. I mean, it's like out of the movies, and it wasn't that long ago. No. My wife had to go through that um New Year's Eve, she passed from COVID, Hmm. and um, she had to get the ventilator, but it didn't help. She had underlying conditions, COPD, et cetera. So I know what you're talking about. Now, did the COPD come from smoking? No. Her family, her mother and father smoked constantly, so she got it as a second hand. She hated smoking. Hmm. 
As I got my, my father, my grandfather, Anton, was like a chimney. He died at 58 from lung cancer. My father would never smoke. He said, son, if I ever see a cigarette in your mouth, I'm going to smack it right out. You don't sneak on me. I'll, I'll sniff it out. I don't want you to have happened to what happened to your grandfather who died at the age of 58. And it was a horrible death. He, he, he suffered for months. Feel for him. Yeah, but no, it was a, a learning experience, uh, I tell you, Johnny, and we have to reintroduce that to a whole new generation. You say polio, they say, huh, what? Polio? It's still out there in Afghanistan. Oh, yeah, Zawari, yeah, we just lit him up. No, no, people have polio in Afghanistan and Pakistan. And guess what? People do travel, it spreads, it's contagious. He can go from people to people. Oh, no, it'll never happen. Yes. How the hell did it end up in Rockland County? You don't think it could spread to other places? Look at monkeypox. 1958, right? They created monkeypox. They gave it the name. Didn't happen occasionally, and then all of a sudden, took on a life of its own. Now, if you happen to be a gay or a bisexual man, you're worried. Oh, my God, any sexual contact, and I might get monkeypox. Look. We need to learn from history. What comes around goes around. Everything ends up going full circle. And believe it or not, we have a case of polio in Rockland County. And it won't be the last case that we see of polio. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. You never hear a song like this with Frank Morano. You know, it came to mind, I was talking about Lake Michigan, my father, my uncles, swimming. And I said, you know, it's time for the shy lights. this to Tony Orlando without dawn, Saturday nights 10 to 12. I remember the signs of springtime There were birds Music Everywhere Oh, that just pulls at your hearts. R&B, that's what I used to listen to. The punchline is coming up. Don't worry about it. Think of all those children who suffered with polio. And what I had dreamed of. Oh, 
couldn't move, couldn't walk their whole life. And they cried day in and day out. With eyes of a day of their lives, the parents, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, the children with polio, this, we can't even identify with that nowadays, and yet if we don't keep our guard up, if we're not vigilant, it'll come back, just like viruses and plagues and disease and pestilence have come back through the centuries. And we never really recognize the men and women who are dedicated out there to maintain those vaccines. And also, more importantly, to test, believe it or not, in our sewer systems. Because whatever we eliminate could well be a signal of a future virus, a future wave of sickness and paralysis. Who would want a job like that? Right? Would you, Matt Blaze? Oh, no, I wouldn't want to be in a sewage pit testing sewage for viruses. Can you? Oh, no, not me. And Alex, the brown-nosed producer of the Frank Morano show? No, I wouldn't want to. Somebody's got to do it. Do we ever recognize those people? Do you ever think about that? They were doing that all through the period and still do of coronavirus and all the various variants. They do that on a regular basis. We don't know who they are. We don't recognize them. We never say, wow, thank you. Because that is not, I mean, raw sewage. I know many of you are saying, oh, God, you're grossing me out now. Hey, (laughs) but that's how you contact Trace. You know, we learned all about that with coronavirus. We learned all about that with all the variants. Yeah, you got to do contact tracing. They do it from our elimination, our search. Anyway, let's go, if we can, to EJ, who's calling from Syracuse. Your turn to be heard, EJ. Hey, Curtis. Um, this is not on the polio subject. It's more along what you were talking about previously, earlier in the show, about um, protecting yourself against the thugs. And uh, it was a couple of years ago. I worked nights, so I was stepped out of my porch to get some air. It was like, I don't know, 2, 3 in the morning. And I hear glass breaking, and I hear all these kids yelling down the street. And I live in a marginal neighborhood. So I went went inside, called the police, told them about it. They said, well, we'll send somebody over there. I go back out to check on the porch, and I see them. I'm looking through my window. I see the a bunch of kids, like seven, eight of them, throwing rocks at my neighbor's house. And they smashed in the front door, like the little window of the door, with a with a piece of wood or a rock or something. And there's two senior citizens that live over there, a couple. So I called the police again. I said, you got to get over here right away. They're, it, they're breaking into a house across the street. Ran upstairs. I got my shotgun, which I, I 
it's legally owned. I, I do trap shooting. But I got my shotgun. Go downstairs, look out the front, you know, through my window. They come across the street to my house. They start throwing rocks at my house, and they start coming up on my porch. And this one kid, he's covered with blood. He's got a board. He's smashing my front door in, right, with a piece of wood. I got, like, the uh, storm door on it. I opened my door, grabbed my shotgun, shouldered it, aimed it at the guy. I said, get the blank out of here. He starts freaking out. He backs up. And I stupidly went out on my porch. And I'm surrounded by kids. They're standing out there, 20-something-year-olds, a bunch of thugs. And I go, get the blank out of here. And no police. No, this is 40 minutes later, no police. So I go out there, and one guy, kid goes, you don't have the guts to do it. And I go, I'm aiming it right at him as I'm talking. And I go... I'm a nice guy, but don't you try coming in my house. You're you're gonna see what happens. And he's like, "If you," and he he runs away. Right? They kind of scatter. I hear the sirens. The police are finally on their way. I bring my gun inside. I go inside. Police truck pulls up. The cars pull up. They arrest a bunch of the kids. They put them in the paddy wagon. And uh, I go out to talk to the police and tell them what was going on. And uh, I hear the paddy wagon, I hear this banging in it. And I go, what's going on there? Is he kicking it? And he, the police the police officer goes, he's banging his head on the inside of the paddy wagon. And he said they were doing bath salts. They were tripping on bath salts. And... I, they talk to the neighbor, the senior couple, and they press charges. And th- I see the police grab one of the kids and puts him right on the street, in the middle of the street, and he starts screaming at him, swearing at him. He's like, these people work. They don't need this. You stay out of your na- this neighborhood. Tell them to stay out of the neighborhood, and you tell your friends. And then put him back in the paddy wagon. They drove off. Two years later, never heard from him again, never saw him again, and it was just a perfect example of what would have happened if I didn't have that gun. Yeah, no, no, no be, question. I could have been dead. I could have been dead. Yeah, and again, the police officers did the right thing, warning them, don't come back here. Stay out of yeah. this neighborhood. And, and would you go back if somebody pulled a shotgun on you? No, I wouldn't. Hell no. I Hell just no. thought that was a good story because I'm alive, I'm safe, and I own a legally owned you know, weapon. And uh, never had to use it in that way again. I didn't use it. Didn't didn't have to use it. Yeah, but EJ, e- even more so than for yourself, those two seniors would have would have had no chance, no chance no. in their home. No, the, no, none whatsoever. And imagine the trauma that they went through, and the fact that you pulled out your shotgun, you did the right thing. More, more citizens must do that because. The police are not going to come in time in many instances. No, no. They, they weren't there in time. And I I told the neighbors, they didn't even want to press charges because they were afraid of the kids. Yep. And I said, press charges. I go, everyone's afraid of the police here. You're not, that's the biggest gang in town. They're not going to come back if you press charges. And they did. And nobody, it has, nothing's happened since. Oh, yeah, because word gets around. You yeah. know, you got yeah. the, the thugs yeah. who letting everybody know, man, you don't want to go over there. This crazy guy came out with a shotgun. 
There are plenty of places that they can go thereafter where they're going to get no resistance. Ladies and gentlemen, it has gotten to the point, if you are going to be solely dependent on the police, you are going to be victimized. Accept it. You heard what they're doing in Florida. You hear all these sheriffs telling him, we don't have enough resource. We don't have enough deputy sheriffs. You call us by the time we get there. You may not have any valuables left. You may have lost your lives. You may be injured. So defend yourself. We will train you how to use these weapons to defend yourself and the neighbors. And they're better off for it than a community that is completely dependent on elected officials, Democrats or Republicans, and police who have been hampered. They're not permitted to do their job any longer. So you got a choice. You want to be victimized or you want to be able to defend yourselves, your family, your property, and your neighbors. It's not just about I and me. It's about us and we. And a community that does that, the thugs and thugettes will spread the word. You don't want to go into that community because you may come out in a casket. They know that. They're going to pick on the weak. They're going to pick on the sure shots. They're going to pick on the least resistance. This is, it's, it's tribal. It's Darwinian. Trust me, I've been doing this for many, many years. I've had conversations. With, Why don't you go over there? Oh, no. Go over there. Get our ass kicked. Oh, so that's why you pick on the people here. Yeah, because nothing happens. You're going to depend on DAs to prosecute them? Are you kidding? DAs, friends of the criminals, turn them loose, and they're looking now for Soros money because Soros has come out with a Wall Street Journal article in which he says, to the day he dies, he's 91, he should drop dead now listening to me out there in the Hamptons. To the day he dies, he's going to continue to fund DAs who turn criminals loose and pretty much saying to us, and you can't stop me. Well, then you got to protect yourself because the DAs that Soros, uh, Weinsteins, and pocket lines into office, they're not going to protect you. And as a result, the cops are not going to be able to protect you. So you got to protect yourself and you got to protect everybody else in that neighborhood. Let's go to original Rick in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard, original Rick. Yes, good morning, Curtis. Uh, I, I called about the polio thing, but I just quick uh, word on that guy with the shotgun. You're absolutely correct. You have to have a way to protect yourself because you just can't do it yourself. I used to live in a town of four out in the desert, four. And it was a 25-minute police response time, 25 minutes. So you had to have a weapon. If somebody was doing something, 25 minutes before anybody would respond. So you're absolutely correct, Curtis. You can't rely on the police even when you have police. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to say I agree with you 100% on that guy, and what he did was absolutely correct. You know, the first time I saw that, up close and personal, I had been invited to Orangevale uh, outside of Sacramento, California. They were having their first crime problems. They wanted me to form a guardian angel group there, which I did. And it was a Mr. and Mrs. Moses who invited me, not biblical. They were from West Virginia, like a lot of folks had gone out there. They were all orange groves at the time. And then they became subdivisions. And the difference was that in the house of Moses, when Mr. Moses was away working, he would tell me, Mrs. Moses has her shawl draping over her legs and when she's sitting there in the chair watching TV, 
She's got a 44 Magnum there. If anybody comes in the house, she can blow his brains out. And then they'd have shotguns in different parts of the house, fully loaded, ready to go. If you were going to do a home invasion or take advantage of the fact that they were senior citizens, they were going to blow you to kingdom come. And, you know, they felt better about themselves. They were self-sufficient. They had pride. They had self-esteem. Sure, if the cops came, the cops came, but they weren't waiting for the cops. Well, you're absolutely correct. I knew a guy who owned a liquor store out there. And he was the same thing. He was a cripple with a, a blanket over him. He had a forty-five, and he blew away so many people. It was a, a, a part of the town they called uh, Apache, uh, Fort Apache, where, where they fought, filmed Fort Apache because it was such a bad area. He would be proud. He would show me the holes in the shawl where the, the bullets had gone through and burned a hole, and how many people he killed trying to rob his place. He was actually very proud of it. You're absolutely correct. Oh, and the word would spread. But wouldn't we be better off, original Rick, if we all had a sheriff like they have down in Brevard County in Florida where everyone is fleeing to, and rightfully so, because he actually uh, has a show on the nightly news in which he plays Wheel of Fugitive and warns the fugitives personally. I'm Sheriff Wayne Ivory of the Brevard County Sheriff's Office, and it is Tuesday night. 8 o'clock, right here in Brevard County. Time to spin the wheel. Time for fugitives to go to jail. Our community partners with us each and every day to get them off the street. Let's give one of them a little extra incentive. Fugitive of the week. Here we go. Uh, no banner white here. Come on. Get a good one tonight. Right there, right there. Stop, stop. Perfect. Oh, he's an enemy of society. Okay, folks. Jesse Owen Curtis. Mr. Curtis is a white male, date of birth 4-7 of 87. His charges are failure to appear for hearing reference burglar of a dwelling, grand theft from a dwelling. He's got no bond. His last known location is the Palm Bay area. Now, Mr. Curtis, I'm not holding out a lot of hope for this because you've already failed to appear on your court date. So I'm just going to say this. You're either going out to the Brevard County Jail and turn yourself in, or we're going to come crash in your door wherever you're at, cuff you, stuff you in the car, and then take you out of the jail anyway. So go do the right thing. Go show the judge you're ready to get this chapter of your life behind you and stop messing up, stop making mistakes. If not, you know what happens. You know what happens. That's so interesting. We had a national night out in which they didn't even have a national night out when it got to dusk. I looked at the schedule of a lot of these national night outs. It started in the afternoon, and by the time it was 7 o'clock, it was over. And so I went up to the cops. Well, I thought the whole concept, when it started in 1970 in the burbs outside of Philadelphia, was you be on your porch, the light would be on, and all the neighbors would come out late into the night to show solidarity because that's when the criminals would do the home invasion. Well, Curtis, we can't do that now. Why not? Because it's too dangerous that people might get shot, stabbed, mugged, or raped. But, yeah, well, we can't do what we used to do. But we don't even have nightsticks. They took our nightsticks away. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen it yet, I want you to go and look at these viral videos that took place on Saturday, excuse me, Sunday in the afternoon after the Dominican parade up the Grand Concourse in the Bronx. That the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, let. 
him and his entourage. And I'm looking at the video. I couldn't be there because, naturally, I was broadcasting. And I said, oh, my God, the Trinitarios on the periphery. Obviously, Eric Adams, he's not a street guy. Uh, these guys in City Hall, they're not street guys. They had no idea. Hey, Adams, Viva Adams. Treacherous gangbangers who later on attacked cops who were arresting Trinitarios that had guns. Look at the videos. These are beefy Latino cops battling Dominican Trinitarios. Fighting. Bottles being thrown at the cops. They're doing their jobs. They did not retreat. They did not surrender. Well, where was the police commissioner? Well, she, she not, no, probably doesn't know how to find the Bronx, you know. <laughs> where was the swagger man, Eric Adams? He led the parade. You would have thought when he heard about that, right, he would have gone back there and said, you do not attack police here or we will find you. We will search for you. We will kick in that door. We will drag you out. We will stuff you in a car. And you will know that the police were here. That's all. You don't have to, you know, connect every (gasps) dot. You think they would say that up here? No, of course not. Can can I hear that wheel of fugitive one more time? He's very specific. He's looking in the camera. It's aired on the local TV network right after the news. All the thugs and thugettes are huddled around the TVs they just stole during home invasions or they broke in to video stores and stole a big 72-inch big screen TV to see who the sheriff was going after tonight. I'm Sheriff Wayne Ivory, the Brevard County Sheriff's Office, and it is Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, right here in Brevard County. Time to spin the wheel. Time for fugitives to go to jail. Our community partners with us each and every day to get them off the street. Let's give one of them a little extra incentive. Fugitive of the week. Here we go. Get him, Sheriff. Get him. It's a whole bunch of different thugs. Get that guy named Curtis. No, 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 not me. You know, that thug down there. Come on, Sheriff. Good, good. Get him. Okay, folks. Jesse Owen Curtis. Mr. Curtis is a white male, date of birth 4-7 of 87. His charges are failure to appear for hearing reference burglar of a dwelling, grand theft from a dwelling. He's got no bond. His last known location is the Palm Bay area. Now, Mr. Curtis, I'm not holding out a lot of hope for this because you've already failed to appear on your court date. So I'm just going to say this. You're either going out to the Brevard County Jail and turn yourself in, or we're going to come crash in your door wherever you're at, cuff you, stuff you in the car, and then take you out of the jail anyway. So go do the right thing. Go show the judge you're ready to get this chapter of your life behind you and stop messing up, stop making mistakes. If not, you know what happens. You know what time it is. Wooden shampoo time. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Defending themselves, defending their property, defending their families. What happened to all the young people out there? 
Where, 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 where's your manhood, huh? Where's your sense of being an American, which is standing and fighting for what you know is right? I mean, it's... I've given you example after example of people who you would have thought, nah, they're not going to pull out a gun and blast that enemy of society, that cretin with chromosome damage into the hereafter. But, you know, they got up, they pulled that trigger, and they felt a lot better afterwards, right? They felt a lot better. Leave it to the old man. Shoot him first. You can go back to loving later. Look in your eyes and know not to mess with you, pal. Oh, yeah, can imagine. It's the old people who are leading the way in the sunset of their life. 90-year-olds, 80-year-olds, 70-year-olds. Gonna go out there, gonna abuse the Asian elderly like we see every day on the news. On the West Coast, the East Coast, and the heartland of America. I'm telling you, Asian folks out there, you gotta defend your own. Because if you don't defend your elderly, nobody else will. Go out there and kick their asses. You know, years ago, you didn't see Asian people abused like this because there were all those kung fu movies out there. You know, Run Run Shaw, Bruce Lee, all Jet Li. And there was this impression that all Asians knew martial arts kung fu. You didn't mess with them. You went for your Chinese food. You didn't mess with them. You didn't mess with the dry cleaning. You didn't mess with them because you thought, oh, my God. All of a sudden, they'll do a kung fu move on you and kick you so hard, your mother will feel the vibrations. That preventative no longer exists because we said it was a stereotype. You know, Asian people would be a hell of a lot better if we believed in that stereotype that every Asian could kick your ass because they knew the martial arts. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. To all beef patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and your special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and special sauce. Oh, it's like smelling sauce to me. Remember, we were talking uh, about Mickey D's the other morning as I substitute for Frank Morano. Let's face it. The only thing Frank Morano would talk about, Mickey D's, is eating the cheese in the Big Mac. Because, you know, he's a fromage man. I'm not talking about that, eating the Big Mac. 
I'm talking about running a McDonald's. And just the other morning, talked about my time with Harvey Weinstein before they rightfully sent him off to prison. Now he waits more charges for being a perv out in L.A. But he had just done the movie Founder, which was about how Ray Kroc stole McDonald's from two brothers in Southern California and then stole people's wives along the way. I mean, it was like, yeah, is that Ray Kroc? That lousy SOB. I mean, that, that's, that's whose picture was in the Mickey D's I was night manager of there on East Fordham Road in Webster back in the late 70s where I formed the Guardian Angels to patrol the streets and the subways because there were cutbacks, they laid off cops, and we had to fill the void. Perfect, perfect sort of entree into what was National Night Out just hours ago, except when it got dusk and it got nighttime, there was no more National Night Out. Hide! You know, turn the lights off. Could be a drive-by shooting, carjacking. Hide! And probably some of the toughest and most dangerous work in all of America is to be at a convenience store or to be working at a fast food joint Daytime now and nighttime, because there are so many problems, so many problems. In fact, if you ever get a chance, you got to watch the uh, documentary Vigilante. It's about yours truly, and especially about how I handled that McDonald's at a peak area of violent crime in New York City, especially in the Bronx, where everyone was escaping. But, oh, God, Henry Crock was vile. <laughs> you ever see that? It's a horrible movie. Harvey said, hey, I got to be here because I'm the producer. I'm losing millions on this. It's a horrible movie. But, you know, I got some clouds in my horizon, but I'm going to do your biopic, Curtis. I've been following your life. I said, really? I guess those are really big clouds (laughs) because they never cleared from the horizon. You perf! You should rot in jail, Harvey. But anyway, I digress here. But let's face it, do you know of anybody who is more of an expert on maintaining law and order in a Mickey D's than yours truly, Curtis Lee? I mean, let's face it, I've told you many, many times how I did it. I broke every rule that Ray Kroc ever created in Oak Brook, Illinois. See, Oak Brook, Illinois, for those of you who've worked at McDonald's or fast food, was called McDonald's Hamburger University. You know, they wouldn't send me to Oak Brook, Illinois, because they said, oh, my God, you break every rule in the book. And I did to survive, to protect my crew and to protect the patrons who would spend outrageous amounts of money to stand online for two, three hours. I kid you not, like gerbils just waiting to go over the cliff to get their Mac fries and strawberry shake, especially when these homeboys would be coming off of uh, the Grand Concourse where the Lowys were, there'd be three uh, martial arts flicks for $5, and they'd be all cheated up smoking uh, reefer, and they had the munchies, and they all wanted Big Macs. Why they wanted Big Macs? I had no idea. They loved the Mac sauce. I'm going to get to that momentarily. So they're online. It's 2, 3 in the morning. They had they had Big Mac attack. They had to have their Big Mac, strawberry, fl- uh, strawberry shake, and their fries, right? And so all of a sudden, they come up to the counter, and they'd say, yo, you the manager? I said, what do I look like, right? What do you think, because I'm white? 
that I'm stupid? And they said, no, we just want extra mac sauce for our fries. And I said, no, no, no. You don't get mac sauce with your fries. No, no, no. And they pull out a Philly roll, right, which means they had $100 on the outside, single bills. I'll give you $100. Just give me some mac sauce on the side for my fries. You don't get mac sauce with your fries. That's the tradition at McDonald's. Uh, And if you want to know the ingredients, we are sworn to secrecy. I can't tell you how many fights I got in with the brothers because they wanted freaking mac sauce with their fries. Now, that was then, and that was me. Most other McDonald's managers, hey, you want mac sauce? Here, take a whole tube of it, please. Just don't. Don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. I knew if you gave them one squirt of Mac sauce, the next thing they were going to come for were the fish fillets. And remember the special fish fillet sauce. The tartar sauce. They would have said to me, hey, I want tartar sauce on my fries. Hey, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get Ugats. Oh, I can't tell you the battles I had. It's very stimulating, very exciting, because I knew they were going to be coming in one by one. I want tartar sauce. I want Max. You get Ugats. Oh, let me have that song. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. It's like an aphrodisiac to me. It's like smelling salts, you know. I could have been knocked out in the lobby. Hey, sometimes, you know, I would pick them up and body slam them, and we'd be wrestling around, and I would be like uh, a little woozy. And I would take that Max sauce and... Be like smelling sauce. God. You know how Robert Duval loved the smell of napalm in the morning in Apocalypse Now? I love the smell of Mac sauce. All right, enough of that. So why am I talking about all this? You, you could see it in the documentary Vigilante. It's a good, good documentary, especially about my time in Mickey D's and how I started the Guardian Angels. And again... This is all in context to the national night out that occurred a few hours ago. And almost everywhere I went, the moment it was dusk, it was night. That was the end of the national night out. Why? Oh, because it's dangerous to be out here. Isn't that the whole point of national night out? People on their porches turning the lights on, being in the neighborhood. Too dangerous to be out. You might be a victim of a drive-by shooting. Well, let the police deal with it. No, can't do that. You saw how they were attacked in the Bronx. By the way, would you give the freaking cops their nightsticks back? You give them a gun. What are they supposed to do? Take the gun out and blow these enemies of society away? And then all of a sudden, no justice, no peace. (sighs) Got me all fired up. You know, maybe like Sid Rosenberg, who's coming on with Bernard McGurk in the morning, the best morning team in America now. You know, he's uh, he's going to Osteen's engagement in Yankee Stadium. You know, he watches Osteen on Sunday mornings, and you know why he says it calms him down. You know, after watching all the Michigash and the news, he says, oh, I, I need Osteen and his wife to, like, give me some positive. I, I can understand that. Because right now I want to go kill people. I really do. I got so many people on an enemies list here. People who have hurt other people. People who have destroyed our city. But let me get back on track. Big Mac fries, strawberry shake. So why are we talking about Mickey D's? 
because it's the biggest story of the many crime stories of the day. Let me take you to bed Lisa Fulmer is 40 years old. She had uh, ordered on her app. Imagine you get to order Mickey D's on your app and then you can show up or have the uh, stub hub or whatever they call those grubby hub guys deliver it. Ask him if they're citizens. Right? Hey, do you got paperwork? None of your business. Hey, you really? You're going to give me a hard time? I, I'm just asking you. Show me some documentation. Order a Big Mac fries, strawberry shake first. This way I could get a kickback on it. Then I'll show you my papers. I kid you not. These, these guys, uh, they got attitudes. So she orders on an app. And part of her order at 7 p.m., Bedsty do or die. She wants small fries. So she shows up at the Mickey D's, and this happens from time to time. The fries are cold, right? So she says to the cashier that, could I have, you know, warm fries? You know, it's kind of expensive. And she says that the staff wouldn't do that. They made fun of her. You know, they were giving her a hard time. Uh, Let me give you a tip for all of you who get ripped off by going to McDonald's and paying those outrageous prices. You want fresh fries, you tell them when you go to the counter. Now, take this down because you, Matt Blaze, you look like a schmendrick here who, like, always will get bamboozled with wilted fries cold fries, or too much salt in the fries. And let's face it, that's the reason people go to Mickey D's for their fries. They really are the best fries. You go to Wendy's, you think they have fries like Mickey D's? Not. Burger King? Not. That's the one reason that McDonald's does better than the rest. It's the fries. It's like having a diner in the morning, right? You could have the best breakfast. Oh, you know, your eggs and bacon and your hash browns are great. But if you don't have a good cup of coffee, Nobody's going to come to the diner. They're going to say, yeah, the food is good, but the coffee is horrible. You got to have a good cup of coffee or you're out of business in a diner, especially breakfast business. Ironically, Mickey D's has a pretty good cup of coffee. Not super spectacular, but it's okay. But you caused me to digress. Now, now I'm talking about the breakfast menu, of which I rarely was I in charge of breakfast because you would not want me to be in charge of breakfast. So this woman orders on the app, goes into the Mickey D's. She has a small bag of fries that's cold. And she asks them, please, give me warm flies. Now, when it came to French fries, I would always do that because I understood they could easily get cold or they might have had too much salt. So I'm going to give all of you a tip. You go to the counter and you say, I want fries without salt. You writing that down, Ken? You're paying attention. Look at Ken. He's, he's like, he's falling asleep there. I smack you in the head, Manage. Yeah, yeah, all of a sudden, oh, I'm coming too. What is that? The telephone talent coordinator there. You fall asleep on me. That's an insult. The rest of you are going to stay with me until the break of dawn. Hey, and the brown-nosed producer here, Alex, right? I don't know what he's doing out there. He's typing, typing away, sending notes to Frank Morano. He's talking about McDonald's, Frank. Can you believe this? When he should be talking about little gray aliens and should be talking about the Loch Ness Monster or should be talking about Sasquatch. Should be talking about the Loch Ness Monster. There's probably not a Loch Ness Monster there. There's probably not a Pleasant Sir Loch Ness. My God, you guys are such schlubs. 
You can't even fire it off on cue. You really are. You really are a fugitive with aliases. Nobody's name has a last name called Blaze. What do you do? Blaze up the chronic with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and Martha Stewart? Then again, you'd have the munchies, and you'd end up going to Mickey D's, and you'd want to supersize super my fries, right? So, again, to everybody out there, you, you, you waste incredible amounts of money on Mickey D's. They really rip you off, as do all these fast food places, because you are at least entitled to hot food that's cooked well, that isn't in the bin forever, that isn't under the heating lights, and most importantly for the fries, that you can prepare the way you want it. So you tell the cashier, I want fries with no salt on it. Now, right away, they don't, normally don't get that. You say, I have high blood pressure. I can't have any salt. You know, you tell them I might pass out right here, yeah, you know, by the cashier. So they have to put a tray of fries, and they've got to cook up all new fries for you, and you tell them to clean out the bin where they dump the fries all the time because there's salt there. You will get fresh fries, and then you ask for salt. And they say to you, why are you asking for salt? You just had me cook you up fresh fries. You didn't want any salt on it. You said you had high blood pressure. Then you say, psych, because now I get fresh fries and I put salt on it, and it's worth what I'm paying. Oh, God, this guy, this schmuck, can't he? He's like, what? You know, I just go in. I, I, I ask for the Happy Meal. Could I have a happy meal? I want to be so happy. That's why I trip on ecstasy and Molly. I just want to be happy. Give me a pacifier. Hey, this is what I got to do. McWhitey Whiteys. I want my crew back. I want my brothers and sisters. I want Avery, the talent coordinator, uh, telephone coordinator who's black. I want Broadway Bill Lee here who's black. I want Conchita Carmesito, whoever her name is, who's black. Got too many white people around here, the McWhitey Whiteys. You know, yeah, you don't go to McDonald's, I know. God. Oh yeah, we go we go for for fresh greens. You know, we go to the green grocer. We don't eat that stuff. They have no idea what the hell I'm talking about here. So let me get back, because I digress. So you have this woman. She walks in and she gets into a fight with the staff. Now that could have been easily avoided. As a manager, you wanted new fries. I always gave you new fries. It costs nothing. And oftentimes the fries would be cold or they'd be too salty or they'd be wilted and they wouldn't be up to standard. So it just went into the waste and you counted it in your inventory at the end of the day as waste. And it's not like burgers or fillets or another high-cost item that you would have to write off on waste. Then you could be causing yourself a problem. But the staff wouldn't give her a new bag of small French fries. So she went crazy. And the staff, there was no manager. Apparently, the manager was out there smoking, who knows, maybe uh, smoking a blunt or blazing away in the parking lot. So she picks up her cell phone. When did we hear this before? Remember Jose Alba, right? Remember he was behind the counter of the Blue Moon uh, um, uh, bodega on 139th and Broadway when the woman came in and with a snap card, the uh, card that you get, for food stamps, tried to purchase $30 worth of product and also a bag of chips for her 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 daughter. 
And then remember, Jose Alba ran the card over and over and says, it's rejected, it's rejected. I can't give you the groceries. And you got to have your kid give back the chips. Oh, really? I'm going to go get my man. He's going to come back here. He's going to take care of business. And he did. And then Jose Alba did what he had to do, which was stab the guy to death because you don't cross the counter. Now, that was one story. And we saw the result of that, right? The poor guy ends up on Rikers Island. He's got a bail of $500,000 over his head, you know, which meant he had to put up at least $50,000, which he didn't have. And then eventually the bail came down to $5,000 due to the judge using judicial discretion. They claim judges can't use judicial discretion. They can, but oftentimes they won't. And then eventually Alvin Bragg, Turner Moose Alvin Bragg, dropped all charges. He had to. But it'll be interesting to see where this case goes because the mother gets on her cell phone and she says, son, I want you to come down here. They're making fun of me. They're giving me a hard time. So the son bum rushes into the store and he gets into an argument with the staff over a small bag of French fries that probably were cold. And what happens? He gets into an argument. The beef continues. The mother says, hey, look, I don't want you to go back and get your gun. Don't get your gun. I know you're a hothead. You're going to get your gun. Don't come back here. You're going to get in trouble. Well, what do you think her son does? He goes to fetch his gun. He comes back. He gets involved in another beef with a guy who was giving his mother a hard time across the counter. And then he shoots him in the neck. And the guy is now in Brookdale Hospital uh, in very serious situation and could potentially pass away. All over one bag of fries. So the son was arrested. We still don't know what he was charged with. The mother has not been arrested, even though she knew when calling her son to give her backup in that Mickey D's, he was going to end up bringing his gun because his mother obviously knew he was a thug and he had been arrested before. And he has sealed records, which probably were records of violent crime he's committed. I'm not sure of that, but that's usually the case. So the Brooklyn District Attorney has not charged him as of late. That's Eric Gonzalez. Eric Gonzalez, I've told you over and over again, who's in charge of the largest district attorney's office of the five in the city of New York, because it's the largest borough population-wise has diversion programs. He doesn't want to send people to jail the first time. If he catches you with a loaded 9 millimeter, you don't go to jail. You go to a diversion program in which maybe they give you Mickey D's once a week. You sit with a therapist and promise never to do again. They seal your records, and naturally you go out and you do it again. So in this particular case, a employee of Mickey D's was shot unnecessarily. So what is the lesson that we learn from this? Is that the mother is culpable. The mother called her thuggish son. She knew he might be carrying his toolie, his gun. And what are they arguing over? And I've seen this over and over again. It could be a bag of chips at that bodega. The uh, bodega that Jose Alba was behind the counter. A bag of chips. In this Mickey D's, it was a bag of fries. But this happens all the time, not just in our city. It happens all over the country. And I'm going to follow this very meticulously because 
just as in the case of Jose Alba. Remember, let me take you back to the story. It was the mother of the child who started the beef. She summoned her boy toy friend and said, I'm going to have my boyfriend deal with you. And then he came over the counter and Jose Alba had no other choice but to stab him. And notice, what did the mother of the child do? She reached into her purse, pulled out her ship, and stabbed Jose Alba over and over. She never got arrested. In fact, you know what she did that night? She went home and had dinner while her boyfriend was bleeding out on on the floor and died at Harlem Hospital. She went home and had dinner, you know, because she knew, hey, I can get another boyfriend. Come see, come saw. They come, they live, they let live, they die. I'll get another one. So what's what's the rationale of this story? We're going to see if Eric Gonzalez arrests the mother for being culpable, seriously charges the son for shooting the McDonald's employee in the neck. He might be paralyzed. He may die. He may be in ICU for a long, long time. He had a gun. bed do or die. What happened to Stomp and Frisk? Notice all these shootings. What happened to Stomp and Frisk? Let me, let me link the dots here for everybody. We saw the videos that have gone viral of Trinitarios attacking police on 168th Sheridan and the Grand Concourse after the Dominican parade this past Sunday that Eric Adams and his entourage led. The mayor never went back there with his missing in action police commissioner and said, no, uh, this is the Alamo. We're hold- you don't attack police officers. Oh, we roust everybody. We will stop and frisk every young man in this area who's a Trinitario. And you know how you figure out, Matt Blaze, who's a Trinitario? You send undercover Dominican police in plain clothes, dressed like hip-hop monsters, and they throw Trinitario gang signs. Now, if you're not a Trinitario, you don't throw the gang sign back. But if you're a Trinitario, you may not even know the guy, but he throws you a Trinitario gang sign, you throw it back. Okay, up against the wall, stop and frisk him. This is common sense. Why were those thugs, those Trinitarios, not stopped and frisked? Why in Bed-Stuy do or die, which is a changing neighborhood? Lots of millennials and hipsters have moved into Bed-Stuy. It's a mixed community. Try paying for any of those brownstones. I mean, it's a fortune. But there are young thugs roaming about, predominantly young males who are black and Hispanic, some thuggettes who are black and Hispanic, who carry toolies themselves. If ever there was a rationale why we have to bring back stop and frisk, it is now. Look at all these crime stories. Has our mayor, Eric Adams, Address this. He promised during the campaign. I know I ran against him. Oh, no, we're going to bring back stop and frisk. Mark Wanamai, he hasn't done it. When his police commissioner, Sewell, has been asked, what happened to stop and frisk? We're not going to do that. That creates problems. No, that saves lives. That prevents people from being shot. That takes illegal guns off the street. None of these crimes are being committed with legally carried handguns. And then today I get to read this political story about Republicans that I know, Republicans I've campaigned for all throughout the city, who have now become 
Eric Adam Republicans. Eric Adam Republicans. Oh, he's doing an outstanding job. I mean, are you kidding? Look at all the violent crime. Let's take a pause. Seven months into the job, we just had National Night Out in which it did not go into the night because we can't guarantee the safety of people in the streets of New York City. And we now have New York Republicans who are falling for Eric Adams. (laughs) I know who you are, you Eric Adams Republicans. I'm coming for you because you're not in the streets like I am. I know what's happening because I see it. I feel it. I know what to do about it. So does our Cheech, who's here on this station, Rudy Giuliani, Monday through Fridays, three to four. He did it before. He can give advice on how to do it again. We got to take back our city because Eric Adams ain't. His missing in action police commissioner ain't. We're not letting our cops do their jobs. This one story about Mickey D's says it all. How come we don't know what this guy is charged with? He shot this employee of Mickey D's. You know, most people in America have worked fast food. Most people in America will have had experiences either briefly at a Burger King or a Wendy's or a Mickey D's or it could be any number of different fast food emporiums. It's something that universally brings us all together. Many Americans' first job experience is at a fast food restaurant. It's how they learn to work a job, you know, punch in a time clock, not fall asleep on the job. Right, Ken? Bad enough that we have callers who fall asleep. I got these McWhitey-Whiteys who fall asleep on me. Yeah, it's, it's Frank Morano. It's Frank Morano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. You make uh, Whitey Whites here, staff of the Frank Morano Show. You know, there's Bleach, and then there are members of the Frank Morano staff. I don't know who's Whitey. You are slamming Sammy Sosa now. But I am going to suggest to Mickey D's. I am an alumni member, although never permitted to go to McDonald's uh, Hamburger University in Oak Brook, Illinois, because I was considered too unconventional. Too much of an outline. You know, they have the Arctic shake. They have the chocolate shake. I'm going to suggest in your honor, the Frank Morano show staff honor, that they have the McWhitey White shake. God. Let's go to Mike, who's calling from Lake George. Your turn to be heard, Mike. Curtis in the house. What's up, Curtis? No, no. What's, what's up with you, Mike? Well, what's up? Get here, out of here. Well, what's up? Well, what do you mean, what's up? I just did a long rift about Mickey T's. Oh, by the way, I ran such a tough McDonald's that Ronald McDonald would not was not allowed to come to the McDonald's that I managed that night on East Fordham and Webster. It was considered too dangerous because, you know, they had the Ronald McDonald. Every, oh, bring the Ronald McDonald. It will attract the kids. That will attract the mothers who will pay outrageous fees for a Happy Meal. And maybe they would get a Ronald McDonald glass, a little tchotchke. Remember that? 
So the corporate headquarters in Oak Brook, New York, uh, Oak Brook, Illinois, said, no, can't send Ronald McDonald there. Send the Hamburglar. It fits the neighborhood. And listen to the promo for the Hamburglar. McDonald's Big Mac, it's more than just another hamburger. There are two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, and onions on a sesame seed bun. Seven great ingredients working together to make one great taste. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, cheese, lettuce, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Get the idea? Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun. It's your McDonald's Big Mac. You've got to taste it to believe it, you know what I mean? Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun. Two all-beef patties... Let me say a few words about McDonald's Big Mac. It's a, it's it's two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun. Hey, let's knock this off. That's in Leave It to Beaverland. I want my hamburger. McDonald's Big Mac. It's more than just another hamburger. There are two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, and onions on a sesame what are you, seed a bun. Schmuck. Seven great ingredients working together to make one great taste. Two all you beef patties, the special same sauce, cheese, lettuce, pickles, onions. Hamburger University with Ronald McDonald. Good morning, class. Good morning, Ronald. Today's subject, the Hamburglar. The Hamburglar is very clever and very sneaky. The Hamburglar! And he loves taking McDonald's hamburgers. So, what should you yell when you see it? Help, Ronald Sailor! That's right. Uh Uh-oh. Hamburglar. It's a good time for the train You've got a lot to learn. Don't take burgers, Rubble Rubble. By the way, the hamburger did come to the store, and a lot of the people lining up for their Max Fries and Strawberry Shakes getting ripped off said, oh, do I get to take the money in the cash register like the hamburger? Because, you see, they knew the hamburger, they didn't want the fries, they didn't want the fillets, they didn't want the apple pies, the cherry pies, they didn't want the quarter pounders with cheese, they didn't want the, 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 the other fare. They wanted the cash in the cash register. And I would tell them, cross my heart and hope to die. It'll be over my dead body. You got that hamburger? And he looked at me like, man, this crazy white boy means business. But, you know, the hamburger was considered racist. You know, you couldn't send the hamburger to a neighborhood that had high crime. What are you trying to imply? That the people coming into that restaurant were criminals? Yeah, some of them, hell yeah, they were. No, no, no. It's either Ronald McDonald or none of the McDonald's characters. And Ronald McDonald was too afraid to come to East Fordham Road and Webster Avenue. Now you know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Anyway, let's go to Dave. By that mistake by the lake, Cleveland, Ohio, home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Dave. Curtis, how you doing, partner? Oh, my bad, my bad, my bad. Hey, what do you know a rock star that had polio, Curtis, and you were playing him earlier? Wow, a rock star that had polio. Well, yeah, and he actually he wrote a song about it too, Curtis, and you know it because, like I said, you always talk about this band you love. Should I, should I, should I keep you in suspense? Should I tell you? Oh, wait a second. Let me strain my brain first. When a guy, yeah, I thought you might like it. I'm telling you, Dave. When a guy from Cleveland can outwit me, it may be time for me to hang my red beret up. It's just we got all the rock and roll knowledge up here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you got a lot more than that. You had a river there. Canada. You had a river there. That I. You're from. What do you mean? You. What the hell are you doing in Cleveland if you're from Canada? 
No, the the the, the rock and roll stars oh, from Canada. I'm giving Neil, another Neil hit. Young? Could that be Neil Young? Yes, sir. Now, he had polio, and that song that he did with Crabby So Nash, Helpless, is about that. When he was a little boy, he was helpless with polio for for a whole winter, and he'd say, there was a town in North Ontario, and he'd look out, and he'd see the geese flying in the window, and he wished he could walk and such, and that's what that that's a really special song, and that's what he wrote it about. Helpless, yeah. So what is yeah, our, what is our Gavon here play? He plays "Old Man" by Neil Young. Well, great yeah. song too. Uh, Dave, Dave, you see, they they don't know what CSNY is. Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. They think it's an apparel firm. Oh, CSNY? <laughs> is it like is that like Izod? Wow, this generation. Yeah. No, I mean, go ahead. Just unbelievable band. Unbelievable. The first super group where, like, all the dudes on there could have a band by themselves. They were such talented dudes. You know what I'm saying? You are so right. And my very dear friend, David Crosby, who crafted for me The Other Side of Midnight. Did you know that, Dave? Wow. No, I did not know that, Curtis. No, no. You see... Frank Morano, who does the other side of midnight, Monday through Fridays, I'm substituting for him now because, believe it or not, he took a second vacation within two months. Marana, my. Beware, Dave. You take vacations when Curtis Lee was around. You may come back. You may. You can't be half-stepping. You can't be half-stepping. I know what you're saying, man. That's right. That's right. But let's see if... um, the guy that I believe is a fugitive here, Matt Blaze, you'll probably find him in East Cleveland soon, and he'll stand out because he'll be the only white boy in all of East Cleveland because uh, he'll be on the lam. He is, he is having a difficult time, Dave, finding the massive number of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young Classics that I have in my eclectic musical collection, Dave. You know, they're just, like I said, they they had only two albums, but they're just gold, just absolute gold. The CSN, and then they added, uh, 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 then they had the CSN, what was it, So Far? I can't remember the two. Now, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised you weren't into Joe Walsh, Funk 49, right there from Cleveland. I'm surprised, Dave. No, I love him. I told you I love him before. I told you, I, I said I got the bootleg 81 Dallas, oh. uh, the, the reunion arena. And, and like I said, that, that, and we were talking before how he did the soundtrack for Warriors and he did that song in the city. And that song is killer, man, you know? Yeah, well, you see, Matt Blaze is having a tough time keeping up with us. Uh, you know, I'm going from Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Neil Young, Helpless. He couldn't get that. Now he can't get Funk 49 with Joe Walsh. You're really useless. Oh, here it is. Here it is, Dave. What it is. What it is. Yeah. Oh, this will light you up, wake you up in the morning. Funk 49, right, Dave? Yes, sir. Now listen to the words. Oh, this is so good. I told you, we'll take you to the break of dawn, although actually 5 o'clock is not quite dawn, but it did wake up our telephone talent coordinator, Ken, who was like stung God. You know what I'm saying? You can't fall asleep on Joe Walsh and Funk 49, right, Dave? 
Impossible. Impossible. The James Gang, right, Dave? That's right. Headbangers ball, Dave. It's why you go to Cleveland, that mistake by the lake. For the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Dave. Yeah. Rock Capital, you know it. Yeah. Tony Orlando with Dawn. Cousin Brucey. Vinny Madunio. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Dave. Pick up the phone. Check the riff. Hold on. Yeah. Awooga. Time to rise and shine. Get your Mickey D's breakfast. Just make sure you don't shoot the man or the woman serving you right at the cashier spot. Oh, so good, Dave. But wait a second. Wait a second. Let's flip the script. Dave mentioned the song about polio that was sung by the great Neil Young. Remember, I had Neil Young's back, Dave. When uh, he took his uh, play selection off of Spotify because of that muscle head, Joe Rogan, I sided with Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young and Joni Mitchell and especially Neil Young. Oh, goodness. Oh, what a great song. You're so right, Dave. Makes me almost want to cry. I love Canada because of this guy. There is a town in North Ontario. Extreme comfort memories. Oh, so good, Dave. So good. And not even. In my mind, I still. I had no idea it was about the time that he struggled with polio, Dave. I've listened to this song so many times that I I burrowed a hole in the vinyl around and around and around. I love Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, especially Dave Crosby, who designed my my song for The Other Side of Midnight. By the way, what's the matter? You can't find The Other Side of Midnight by Dave Crosby? What, Frank Morano won't permit you to play it? Thank you. And this was customized for me, Dave. Outstanding. I'm telling you, you see, we stick with the old school against that knucklehead Joe Rogan, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. And Joni Mitchell, remember, Joni Mitchell wrote Woodstock. She couldn't be oh. at Woodstock, and she said to the boys, especially Neil Young, her fellow Canadian, you know, I can't be there, but I want you to sing it at Woodstock. I'm telling you, that was so wow. amazing. Wow, wow. Uh, did you know did, that? You know, did no, you? I didn't. That's amazing, Curtis. That's, I did not know that. Oh. I love I love her version of Woodstock. You rarely ever hear it. Her voice is unbelievable. And like I said, her, I love Crystal's Nash version of Woodstock. That's killer. But then, like, her version, I heard it later, and I'm like, Jiminy Crickets, that, that song, you got to be kidding me, man. Oh, I love that, Jiminy Cricket. Boy, that's a throwback. And 
I honor you because you are right there with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The only reason that Cleveland exists any longer. Wow. I tell you what, you know, they're, they're laying off cops left and right. Curtis, you know what's crazy, Curtis? You want to hear a crazy hold-up story? There was this convenience store in Cleveland, and the guy runs in there. And he's got some guy sweeping the floor, and then the other guy running the place, he's behind the bulletproof glass. So the guy goes in there with a gun, he's going to hold it up, and then he puts the gun to the to the guy sweeping the floor head, and he says, hey, if you don't give me all your money, I'm going to shoot this guy in the head. And then the guy's like, I ain't giving you nothing. And then the guy got kind of flustered and just ran out. But, like, how do you be that guy, like, sweeping the floor, like, like you know, I mean, how do you stay on good terms with your boss after that? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know because I have guardian angels in West and East Cleveland. It is a rough town. Very 200 rough. Cops just quit. 200 cops just quit. We, we got a freaking, we got this sweet mayor. This guy's got all this sweet stuff. And like I said, I think he's like really sweet. If you know what I mean? I think he got a little sugar in his gas tank. He ain't got no girlfriend and he looks all pretty and everything, but nobody ever talks about that or whatever. But, well, yeah, I, mean, I, must, uh, I must admit, I must, I must be very honest with you, Dave. As we find the song created by the great Joni Mitchell that she couldn't oh. play at Woodstock and then gave it to the boys. But oh. my first chapter leader in Cleveland, his name, it may resonate with you, Eric Brewer. He eventually he was a reporter with the uh, uh, Cleveland... Uh, I don't know, Star, no, no, wait a second, I'm trying to remember. The Cleveland Press. Plain dealer? Press. Yeah, plain dealer. And Press. then he went on years later, he ran and became the mayor of East Cleveland, which is where Rockefeller established uh, his uh, Standard Oil Company. It's a little section yes, outside of Cleveland. And yes, you know that Eric Brewer, my leader in Cleveland, became a transgendered person. He called me up. He said, my name's not Eric anymore. It's Erica. Dave. That's heavy. That is heavy. Dave. That was traumaful. I mean, like, what? Like, huh? Well, I couldn't say you that. You got to live and let live. That, you know, what it is? Live and let live. I mean, that, that's the French definition of liberty. It's, is V-E lazy. Live and let live. So, I mean, true liberty, you got to just keep it real like that. You know, because, I mean, people... But, I mean, you know, there's something, I mean, there's, we got a lot of jet fuel in Cleveland. Like, when I was a kid, like, the, I grew up right by the airport, and, you know, I kind of, I took a lot of headshots myself, and that's why I kind of like an insomniac or whatever, but, yeah, they're, 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 Cleveland's an old toxic waste dump, man, and so you can't blame it all on him or whatever. Cause, I no, mean, no, I'm not blaming him. You know, who knows yeah. what caused him to have a transition exactly. in his life. This guy yeah. used to be a hound. He used to chase skirts. I used to have to call oh. him up and say, leave oh. the women alone. And then four years later, uh, remember me? I was Eric Brewer. I'm now Erica Brewer. I'm the mayor Brewer. mayor of East Cleveland. I said, did he have to hand in his beret of, uh, or did you let him keep it? No, no. He earned it. He earned it, man. He, okay. okay. He there, look at that. You're, you're a big man for that, Curtis. Look at that. Like I said, and you, you know, you love them all. Because like I said. V.E. Levy, live and let live. That's liberty, man. We can't be, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Man, this guy fought his way through East Cleveland. You know how dangerous that is, East oh, Cleveland. That's, yeah, it's a war zone. But then I had to stop myself because I kept calling him Eric, and he kept correcting me. My name is Erica. I'll always know you as Eric. No, 
I am now Erica. But I say, you know, whatever you are now, and there's 72 different terms to describe Erica now, who used to be Eric, you are a damn good guardian angel. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. So, the son of Lisa Fulmer, who was upset because her fries were cold, called her son on the celly. She said to him, don't bring your gun. I know how you are. What the hell did you call your son for? Because guess what? He brought his gun, and then he shot the guy, Mickey D's, across the counter. The guy could be well on life support at Brookdale Hospital. We, we hope the best for him. But you know what his... His cop-out is going to be to this, to Eric Gonzalez, Again, another DA, right, in Brooklyn, who, you know, cut him loose, turn him loose, Eric Gonzalez. Oh, you got caught with a loaded 9 millimeter. We'll send you to a diversion plan. You're not going to do any time for the crime. All he's got to do is break out in a chorus of the intruders. I always love my mama. She's my baby girl. I had to do it for my mama. I had to shoot that guy because... He gave my mama cold fries. And you know that a guy like Eric Gonzalez and the rest of these DAs could actually say, you know, that's quite plausible. And probably caused his mother quite a bit of trauma to get cold fries from Mickey D's that might have caused her to become impotent, incontinent, and her son was preemptively attempting to do an intervention just got a little carried away. He has an anger management issue. So instead of prison, we'll have him come in once a week to deal with his anger management issues. You know, they did that with Sean Puff Daddy Combs, who took a champagne bottle full and clocked his producer in the head. And Morgenthau at the time said, we don't want to lock you up. You just have an anger management problem in Manhattan. So, we want you to come for anger management training. Oh, my God. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I did an intervention uh, yesterday. There were clouds on the horizon. No, it wasn't Harvey Weinstein. But it was between my very dear kumbadi chief, Rudy Giuliani, and Greg Kelly. Greg uh, Kelly had taken umbrage. To what Bill Bratton had said. Bill Bratton, who is always obnoxious, omnipotent, pretentious, thinks he's the best thing that ever walked into the police department since Teddy Roosevelt started the NYPD. He's not. And he has disparaged Ray Kelly, the longest-serving police commissioner. I need my music, please. Uh, In the history of the NYPD, who is the father of Greg Kelly? So Greg got angry at what Bratton's been saying and attributed it to Rudy's time in office. And it got all convoluted and all mixed up. And the boys in the morning, you know, Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg, they were stirring it up. I was listening. I said, oh, you're trying to turn Greg Kelly versus my kumbada cheese Rudy and vice versa. I said, no, 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 no. I'm going to come in and I'm going to do a shit. You know, I'm going to do the match. 
So Rudy came in, and he was huffing and puffing. He had reason to be huffing and puffing because that, that, that Judy, that former wife of him, said, you either pay me the money so I can go to the country club in Palm Beach County in Florida, or I'll put you in prison. Prison, not even jail. So you know Rudy was already upset. You know, his nostrils were flailing. You know, he was all upset. So, Rudy, Rudy, come here, come here, come on. I, I, I get it. I, I've been down that road. You know, Rudy, you and I, we share one thing in common with serial marriers. We love them, and then they leave us, right? Okay. Calm down. You know, that's over. It's over. Don't think about it. I got to bring you and Greg Kelly together. You know, Greg, it was, it was as if somebody disparaged you in front of your son, Andrew. He said, click. The light bulb went on. He said, thank you, Curtis. Now I get it. And I was so happy and pleased as Greg Kelly was leaving the studios and passing in the hallway. Rudy came out and they hugged one another. And they said, let bygones be bygones. Because Rudy said, I misunderstood. The love that a son has for his father cannot be superseded. And Greg said, I'm thankful that you understand. In the meantime, I said, those little dirty SOBs in the morning, Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg, stirring up the witch's brew. They were just trying to turn Rudy against Greg and Greg against Rudy, but I did the intervention. Now, I'm not saying I was like Jimmy Carter, you know, with... Um, Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begin. You know, this wasn't the Camp David Accord. I'm not going to get a Nobel Peace Prize. Because me, uh, I'll take a piece of your, your tuchus, right? I'll hit you so hard, your mother will feel the vibrations. So I'm not like Barack Obama. Oh, give him the Nobel Peace Prize. But he hasn't done anything yet. Oh, but but he deserves it. Why? Because he's Barack Obama. <laughs> but I'm so proud I did the shit, Ach. I brought Rudy and Greg together. You will never divide them. No, you won't, Bernard McGurk. No, you won't, Sid Rosenberg. No, you won't out there. We're La Familia here at WABC. Dysfunctional at times, but La Familia. By the way, where is Frank Morano today?